What's up, people? Welcome to Wrestle Update. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there celebrating this week. I'm your host, Dylan Fox. Joining me, as always, to talk about a very special show. A very special show, when you consider the main event. We're talking AEW Full Gear. Of course, I have to be joined by the one who I would never choose anybody over, the one that I love, and the one that hopefully you all love as well. Nella Dayanides. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Dylan. Glad to be back. Um, I've had a very, uh, probably my least like active relationship with AEW lately. So I was honestly excited for the show, really hoping for it to pull me back into the product. So uh, jazz to be talking with you, jazz to be talking about the show. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Uh, I feel a lot better. Like I said, last month was some crazy issues. Uh, last episode, we talked about uh, Crown Jewel, which was, I mean, to be honest, it's not like it was a terrible, terrible show. It was just really ho-hum, like not that interesting uh, overall. And this one, <laughs> there's going to be some ups and there's going to be some downs. But I don't think you could say that this was a boring show that we're going to talk about overall. So that gives us stuff to talk about and have fun with, which is always the best part of anything. But, yeah, we talked about it. We were uh, texting back and forth. Uh, not that long ago, and we were talking about how AEW right now, we're just not feeling it. And, uh, you know, you were saying it, and I totally agreed with what you said. Because really, when you think about AEW as a whole, they are presented as the alternative company at, at the end of the day. And that has a lot of sway and a lot of stock, and I think it lasted them a long time. And it's not like there hasn't been crazy stuff before in AEW. Uh, maybe even stuff that we didn't like, but the whole vibe of the promotion, it's been talked about a lot. Again, it's not like I'm breaking news. I'm sure all of our listeners have <laughs> probably heard it from either us or somebody else. The the shift in the tone of the promotion is really like startling. You know, it's it's really big. And I think a lot of people, I don't think it was just you, Nello. I think a lot of people were going into the show hoping for a course correction. A lot of people said this can be the step forward. You have a match with Jay White in the main event that a lot of people are interested in. Uh, you know, you had some interesting stuff, the announcement of the tournament. We're going to talk a little bit about that during the show as well. Uh, the Continental Classic, which the stakes got raised in the show for that. But a lot of people were into it. It seems like they're – one thing you can say about Tony Khan that I think is a little bit different than maybe the WWE. It's clear that he really takes into account the fans. Whether it's on social media or on Cage Match, the ratings that we're on right now, this network that we're on right now, uh, I think that Tony Khan, he may be listening to us right now, for, for all we know, which uh, hopefully he is. And thank you if you are, Tony. Uh, ho hopefully we have some good advice for you that you take into consideration. Uh, but I think he takes, in all honesty, he takes real like consideration into the ratings and the fans and what you thought of the show. And I think that's something that's a lot different than WWE, and we're seeing that with the tournament announcement. Yeah, I am excited for the continental classic. Um, you know, with the G one having changed up its own style. Um, and like, as much as I love champion carnival and the N one, like I would not say that the, either of those are on the level of like, when I look back, like the, the last great G one, right? Like when Shingo mock or Shingo Moxley and Osprey all joined, like to me, that was the year. 
God, Abushi on a tear, Ishii on a tear, beating White on the final day. I feel like yeah. we're really missing that genuinely. Like this is the S tier round robin tournament, right? And that's no disrespect again to Champion Carnival or N1. I just think we have the unfortunate inclusion of a lot of like, you know, more than one Toruyano level wrestler, I guess. But I mean, so far you have Kingston, Danielson, Andrade, and Mark Briscoe, who I think is honestly one of those guys where I'm like, he's such a great dark horse choice, in my opinion. Um, and I really am hoping that everyone's encouraged, right? Because it's like when you're watching that first night of the G1 and, you know, it opens up with like, uh, you know, Osprey versus Yujiro and you're like, okay. And then all of a sudden it's a Yoshihashi and a Goto and you're like, well, the G1 has begun. Right. Yeah. And there's that special energy in those matches. And um, I've had really no desire to watch weekly the television lately. Um, yeah. So this has me really excited to check out the weekly television. Uh, before we dive into the pay-per-view, I guess you want to talk yeah. about, um, kingston's uh promo for the classic yeah yeah so basically he's gonna put all of these belts up uh, for for this for this tournament and i think that it's interesting the way they set it up because he has the ring of honor title as well as the strong title the new japan strong title and they're gonna formulate these and, and tony Khan said this at the press conference after the show <laughs> and they're not combining the belts but more so trying to make it like the, the old school triple crown in all Japan, which I wouldn't be surprised at all if this was Kingston's legit idea. We know this guy's a huge fan of all Japan. He has a ton of respect for Japanese wrestling, especially that era of the King's Road style. So we're bringing in this new triple crown with both the Ring of Honor, the Strong and the Continental Classic titles all coming into one triple crown title. I hear it. And obviously Kingston was awesome on the mic. His promos are always good. Uh, but. Uh, what did you think of this? What do you think of this idea of combining the titles? Um, you know, it's <laughs> I like the landscape. Like if we just sit back and look at like the men's titles, singles titles, it's like, OK, TNT, we got our TV. Continental sounds like our our national or U.S. title. I just wish they called it a national. Right. Instead of continental and intercontinental um, feels a little weird. But I'm really into the idea of a triple crown. I think that's awesome. Um, I I don't know how I feel about Eddie putting on the stipulation that every match. I thought he was like at first I thought he said whoever beats me will get a shot at my belts. Right. Like which is pretty much how the G1's done it. Um, and I thought it was cool to, you know say that to the audience right like if you beat me like there are repercussions for that outside of this tournament and i was like you know i think that's great to explain especially to a you know probably largely new audience to these style tournaments Mm -hmm. um but to have them on the defending them on every match it's one of those things where added drama but i kind of expect him to go to the finals now um, so I'm not sure, but dude, I'm just excited for it. I love the idea of a triple crown, um, you know, ring of honor, new Japan strong and this continental title. I'm a sucker for that stuff. So as long as it's better than as long as they don't do the finals, like the fucking Yuma Kento and Jake Lee pseudo triple no, threat. No. <laughs> Dylan's all time favorite match. Yeah, anything but that. Uh, <laughs> hey, I could honestly see them doing a storyline where 
Mark is the one person that actually beats Kingston because that's a great like if they wanted to do set up an easy main event for a final battle, um, you know they could easily easily switch the titles there as well. Like have Mark versus Eddie be the main event because I think is the natural way to go about it as well, and you could set it up with him winning in the tournament. But he'd be like the only guy. That way you could put over three guys in a block. You have Kingston win all his matches except for one. You have Mark actually be the one to beat him, and that sets up the story for another guy to win the the to have like advance from the block, so to speak. Uh, and they be, sorry. I was gonna say Tony mentioned it's not exactly like G one or the Champion Carnivore or the Japanese tournaments. So in those tournaments, you get two points for a win and one point for a draw. In this tournament, you get three points for a win and one for a draw. So I expect Kingston to have some draws in here to, you know, that way he uh, gets the finals. And with the three points, he said he based that off of uh, European football, uh, soccer style, Premier League and all that. Uh, he like kind of based it around that. Yeah. So I think they're going to give him a little leeway that Kingston can have some draws as well. Are we, have they announced, is it 15 minute time limits? 20? Do we know? Uh, I don't I don't think they announced that. I hope like 20 max for TV, especially, I imagine. Maybe it'll but, be like uh, all, all Japan Junior Tournament, uh, Junior Battle Glory, 10-minute time limits. Great point, though. That would be it, – it would be really interesting to spice up Final Battle because if I'm not mistaken, that's not an actual paid pay-per-view. Like that is just going to be on Honor Club. That's yeah. awesome. That makes me way more interested in it. Um and like, dude, I can't afford more AEW pay-per-views. I purchased those like three back-to-back in that month. So shout out Walter for purchasing yesterday's yesterday's pay-per-view. Um, <laughs> Walter, shout out Walter. The legend Walter. Um, but yeah, no, I think that would really have great stakes for the Ring of Honor final battle, is because it's like whoever wins becomes the Triple Crown champion. Then, so that would be really cool. Um, we and have no more as well. Oh, what was that? You build it on your actual TV as well instead of just a Ring of Honor show. Yeah, because you have the AEW title as well, um, like the mixed into it, the Continental or whatever it will be. Have we had any more entrants announced in those original four? No, that's a, that's a, the shame of it. I really wish they had just like I don't maybe he's trying to get like a secret guy, like a special guest uh, for the tournament. Which, you know, like something like G1 and Carnival, they always have that, right? They always have a guy from the outside, something like uh, that. I, it's just speculation. He didn't say this. But maybe that's something he's working on to try and fix the blocks. You, you should surely have. I mean, you've already got a Ring of Honor representative with Mark. Maybe they can bring in another guy. Maybe they can bring in a CMLL guy to, to bring in there. Uh, you know, New Japan, I mean, they brought in, listen, this tag league that they're bringing in with Soberano Jr. and Atlantis Jr. and Zondokan Jr., that's three CML guys uh, in the, the New Japan League. Maybe there's room for another one you can bring in here. They had Mystico at the show not that uh, that, that long ago. They did a that great number. That would be huge. Yeah, and, and CML, honestly. And I know, I know Rocky isn't like a, you know, he's more New Japan, but... I think Rocky would be a really – because it's two blocks of six, right? Yeah. Rocky could be a really great addition as well. I feel like big match tournament Rocky can really turn up, and he's been having a fucking great year. Uh, um, okay, so we have eight people left who who, who are like um, – let's say like three dream entrants. Like, or who are the three people that you want to see the most in this tournament? 
it just so happened that I I invented I didn't invent. Uh, I went and made a an Instagram account for Wrestle Update on here, and my first ever post was about this tournament oh. uh, on there. Uh, and here is the book booking I laid out for it. So here is my tournament I fantasy booked. Okay, this is before we had the entrance, so we only knew Brian was in. I had Brian, OC, Powerhouse Hobbs, Darby Allen, Keith Lee, and Shibata in one block. Ooh. All of those guys are first-time matchups for Brian. That was my goal, to find the best I can who have never wrestled him in a singles match before. Nice. Him and him and Darby, OC, Shibata would be great. Then you get some power guys with Hobbs and Keith Lee. <laughs> like, we want that beef match right now. Uh, in B Block, I had Omega, Takeshita, Claudio, Miro, Pac, and Roderick Strong. And I really wanted that to be the kind of revitalization of Roderick to be a more serious character. Uh, again, all kind of like an all-star lineup in B Block. But all of those names, I would say, are worth looking at. Someone like Takeshita is made for this kind of tournament, uh, you know, where he could just go up and down. Uh, I think Claudio would be another great pick. I don't know if they want to intermingle BCC. Even Yuta, I think, would be a great pick as well <laughs> for this. Yeah. Daniel Garcia is somebody that a lot of people have speculated. But I'd like to see some newer guys like a Hobbs get in there. Miro, we need more Miro in AEW, one, undoubtedly. Uh, and I would like to see Roderick get a run just wrestling good and not have to do this gimmick, uh, to be honest. But those are the kind of guys I was looking at, those names I mentioned. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would with Omega in this tag team, I'm going to be really bummed if he's not in this, because for your first year, I think you really need to have your singles guys like um, I think you could put Swerve and Paige in there in opposite blocks. Yeah, um, that's an automatic story you could put in. Um, like, I don't think you need, you need to do that as a finals or anything, but um, I, I would love to see Abushi. Um, I think he would be really cool. Um, I would be, I mean, dude, like I, I'm really hoping Rocky's in it now for some reason, just because if Hobbs is in it, that's the best Hobbs match I've ever seen was him versus Rocky at Defy. Like that could be one of those Lance Archer, Will Ospreay night one matches where you're like, oh shit, this guy turns up. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, more than anything, I just hope that <clears throat> with a lot of, like those eliminator tournaments, right? Where it's like, why are 90% of the people in here in here, right? So I want them. And I think so far, you know, they've done a really good job where it's like all of these guys are at the level um, of what this tournament should be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I more than anything, I just hope they maintain that because I really, really want this to be as good as it can. Um, like I would... I would argue that the best U.S. tournament we've seen or the last one I can think of would probably be the CWC. And God, have I just been craving another one of those for so long? Oh, absolutely. The CWC was awesome. I would love to do a project like looking back at those tournaments because I thought it was such a special thing <laughs> for them to do and give these unknown guys such a spotlight. Yeah. And it led to some guys doing some big things. Now, the thing we have to remember, too, the 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 um, for all the guys that got cut from WWE and the recent cuttings, 
they're they won't have enough time to get those type of guys in uh, for the 90 days that they had overall. Uh, but I would expect somebody like that to be a part of this in the future. Uh, somebody like a Mustafa Ali, I think for sure is going to be in AEW and I expect him to be doing some big things there. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you for the first one ever, especially I really think they should try to focus on having as many big names as possible in to make it established as a main event level tournament that everybody wants to have. I think the worst case scenario would be something like the, the battle bowl, right? Uh, because that's something where you look at that match they had with the, the battle Royal. I mean, it was all mid card guys. Like nobody wanted this of, of anybody of importance. And I don't think you want this to end up that even the Owen tournament this year, I thought it was a terribly booked tournament where you had just matchups that made no sense. Yep. <laughs> like why was so-and-so like, why was Takesha literally just got the biggest win of his career and he's still not in, but Trent is in. It, it made no sense. <laughs> and that's the one thing you want to avoid with a tournament like this. You want the main guys coming in and you want them to do big things. Hopefully, like you said, so far they've avoided my fears is that it would be like the Owen tournament. But let's hope they bring in some other guys that can do some big things and really gain something from it. Yeah, hell yeah. What did you think? One last thing before we get into the show on this tournament. What do you think of Tony Khan publicly advertising there will be no interference in this tournament? No one at ringside, no interference. I hope every match has interference now. I think that's the perfect setup for it, right? That would be hilarious. (laughs) No, um... I fuck with that. Like, uh, again, like I don't have an issue with them so much as like providing like this hardcore exposition for the tournament. Yeah. Um, again, like, you know, Oh my God, what were we just saying before? I, I forgot, but no, I'm, I'm all for these rules and, you know, just like upfront, like, Hey, this is what you're getting because that's just making me more invested. Right. Um, so I'm into it all. I wish Maybe the whole promotion a, would have these rules. <laughs> I would. I could totally see a Jay White being in this as well. Um, I think he needs it. <laughs> so we'll talk about him. <laughs> like well, I have a, a lot of things to say <laughs> about him and that match. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I said, I, I'm not a fan of announcing it publicly. I love the ideal of it, but to me, that should be. In the kayfabe world of wrestling, shouldn't you want all the matches to be equal overall? Uh, But really, it's fine, though. He said in the press conference afterwards that this is really basically something he built for the fans that want the stuff that we kind of criticize. And we're definitely probably going to criticize on this show uh, and the stuff that we would want. They would. He's trying to do it for those kind of fans. And maybe. For the goofy stuff, you'll have the main event and everything like that that you want. And this will be your real sports feel that's been missing a little bit lately. So I'm okay with it. And the tournament itself should be great. I'm pretty hyped for it myself. And like you said, this is getting my anticipation for the show up and really all of their shows on TV up more. And I think that's really good. Um, Do you see any Zero Hour? I did watch all of Zero Hour. Yeah, uh, the first match on the show was uh, Eddie Kingston, def- the aforementioned Eddie Kingston, uh, defending the Ring of Honor title versus Jay Lethal. I thought a pretty good match, but really also kind of filler. You know, like it was well worked, like solid enough, but 
but there was really nothing special about it, and you never really bought Jay was going to win. Uh, it was just like a good way to fill 10 minutes or so. They didn't even really try to make it special. It was just a, a workmanlike night from the champ here, in my opinion. Yeah, not much to say. Um, I thought it was an interesting sort of indication of where Jay Lethal is at. Like, he's very much just part of the Jeff Jarrett parade, which, don't get me wrong, I love. But um, it was interesting to see, you know, essentially the most decorated, like, Ring of Honor world champion of all time just essentially get, like, joked around and then defeated, (laughs) you know, by Kingston, Um, which I love. I love Kingston getting the win. I have no problem with Lethal falling down the card into this comedy gimmick. I'm not a big Lethal guy. Um, so yeah, I thought he's all was, right, but he's, again, he's another one that's like really bland to me. Uh, nothing special about him, but a competent worker, but not somebody I'm interested to see. <laughs> the main spot of this whole match was Ortiz, uh, interfering and it helped, well, not interfering, but uh, stopping the interference from Sanjay. Um, oh, yeah, and I, I honestly I forgot about that angle. I expected Ortiz to turn on Kingston at the end. Yeah, I, me too. you know. I, I think Ortiz could thrive a lot within a ring of honor, honestly. Um, I was surprised at like the complete lack of presence of any sort of Mike Santana on the show, too, I will say. Yeah. Um, like nothing. You wouldn't even think he's back. Um, like Takeshita, you know, with Callus being there, at least he gets mentioned or whatever. Um, that's just a tangent. My apologies. But I would have no, flipped no. this. My only note would be I would have flipped this with the tag title match. Um you know, I think you could have done the MJF angle a lot earlier, and I think that that would have drawn more people with your eyes onto the pre-show. And I really like – I think there's been a trend lately, right, of Kingston always finishing the pre-show. Um, I think it's the perfect place for the Ring of Honor world title. It puts your other company's title on the line, um, gives it a spotlight, but it doesn't come onto your you know main promotional show. And then I love when Kingston does the promo hype ups after by the show. It's going to be good shit. Yeah. You know, like I always love those. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that that would be my only my only thing. But, the you know, good show by Kingston. Yeah, the, I love that idea. Like attach that as a stipulation to the ROH title. <laughs> if you are the Ring of Honor champion, you are guaranteed to get a spot as the main event of the pre-show. Uh, during a thing you get the main event and you get the promo to head into the pay-per-view that should be a stipulation attached to the title like you are if you're the champion that's what that's a reward for you (laughs) that you are basically the top star and you're that much closer to aew even though with kingston he's practically an aew guy anyway but i think they should try to establish a direct line that just being in aew is like a thing like it's something that you should chase if you're a ring of honor guy uh, or girl and hopefully they can they're able to do that more there but totally agree with you on santana man he had some fantastic promos remember when he feuded with box and they had the thing with the eye where his eye got stabbed he cut a fantastic promo on there i really would like to see more from him i think he's got a lot of untapped potential uh and if they wanted to put him in ring of honor he's a great guy that you could really develop (laughs) like let him have his singles run here uh, Ortiz is is all right too, but I actually think I have I see a lot in Santana that could be a guy. Likewise, totally. Um, and again, like I don't think the Ring of Honor thing is so bad as it is just a really great place to workshop a new character yeah. without being completely because 
the unfortunate truth of a dynamite in a collision is that you're just always going to get overshadowed. Um, you know, I think what we've seen with someone like Swerve is like one of the best organic rises since an orange Cassidy in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's very rare on dynamite. You know, we even see people who debut and then just get sort of lost in the shuffle immediately, you know, it happens all the time. Yeah. Yep. Like look at Keith Lee, like as far as we know, he's healthy. He's been having matches and I mean, Zero presence right now again. Yeah. And doing really good. I mean, like when they give him chances, like he's had big matches. But I mean, that's another thing. When you look at Tony Khan, a lot of his booking is really erratic. You know, that's another thing. He never even bo- bothered to book the finale of him and Swerve, like Lee and Swerve, uh, on there. He never really followed up with a lot of different things overall. You went right back. Uh, from the elite angle to do another elite angle, some stuff is really needs to be cleaned up in the company overall. But that's definitely one of them. Uh, and maybe Ring of Honor would be a good place for that. They need to, to put more focus on that. Uh, the next match was Claudio versus Buddy Matthews. Uh, this was definitely to me the best match of the three on the pre-show uh, overall. Um, but still, uh, again, more or less a good 10-minute match. Very high energy for Matthews, and Claudio is just fantastic. I think he's like one of the best workers in the whole company to me, and they did a lot of hard-hitting stuff as well. Buddy had no problem trading with him. Uh, They did a story with the swing. like He really tried to avoid that for a while, but then, of course, uh, he finally got it uh, going in there. Uh, They had some headbutt spots going in there. Uh, Buddy actually hit the jackhammer at one point. They were teasing a Goldberg (laughs) being the signing, I think, here. Uh, but in the end, uh, Cassidy hit the Ricola bomb and then the sharpshooter uh, for the win. A really good match. Yeah. Um, you know, this to me almost felt like uh, a little preview of what like I would have it, assuming that Claudio and Buddy both wind up in this Continental Classic. I would have booked this as like the preview match for what to expect. Right. And um, to, you could have turned it up just a little bit. But even like as a base, this was like a solid I thought, you know, and again, a lot of people will say, well, there was no stakes. This was just a match for the sake of having a match like, a, you know, Ricky Starks and Wheeler Yuta, right on the last pay-per-view. But yeah. I like those matches, you know, like I, I don't think everything needs to be so high stakes. Sometimes it can just be a, a great, you know, wrestling match. Um, and I thought that's what it was here. I'm into it when they're good wrestlers, like we saw here uh, overall. Like, there's some guys I wouldn't want doing that, uh, or girls, but still, in this case, I think they did a great job and had a really good 10-minute match. There's nothing wrong with that. And like you said, a very good format for a TV match. So, yeah, Claudio tried to give him a handshake afterwards, but Buddy, like, rejected it. Um. That could be setting up maybe something they do down the line, Buddy and uh, the Kings of the Black Throne having a little bit of a a rift at some point, maybe. Um, But regardless, the main event of the pre-show was MJF and Samoa Joe versus the Guns. So Samoa Joe gets his title shot uh, here. And basically, I mean, the match wasn't anything special. It was all about Adam Cole finally making his return on crutches. And that led... Samoa Joe lock in the clutch on uh, uh, Colton Gunn, uh, getting the win here. A decent, like, 
what they were going for, it was decent. I'm not into the story at all. I thought it would have been funny if Joe had just tagged in and immediately beat the hell out of MJF and may- cost him the titles. And like, all right, well, I said I was your partner. I didn't say we, you know, there was no promise that we'd win here. Uh, and then he gets the title shot anyway. That would be a good heel move. Because the thing is with Joe, he's such an easy baby face to root for. Like, how can you not like this super cool badass that we want to see? That's a likable character. Uh, and we want to see Joe. <laughs> On top of it, we know he got screwed in their last match versus MJF with the the chain or whatever that dropped right in front of the referee as, as well after their match. But regardless, um, the match was nothing to talk about. And this just set up uh, at the end. They beat the hell out of MGF. Uh, Pilmanized the ankle and MGF has to be put on a stretcher. And then he begs Adam Cole and says, please don't let them take my title. Hey man, my my ankle just got shattered. Um, can you defend my title with your shattered ankle since I can't get cleared? Like this is the dumbest shit yet again. I have Awful. nothing positive. Like MJF tag title defenses and main events have become our AEW equivalent of a Roman Reigns main event. Like truly, um, you know, after the main event, I, I won't go into the actual main event, but in relation to this, you know, Nigel's kept talking about MJF might have gotten through JY, but, you know, now he's got to face his biggest test in Samoa Joe. And it's like, weren't we just here? <laughs> like, and it felt like a lot of With this the same show, guy. <laughs> a lot of this show was able to course correct certain things. Right. Um, which, which like we'll get into later, but, uh, this just felt like a rewind and I was really crazy. And I think that within a week, we're going to completely forgot, forget about this entire bullet club thing because from, you know, juice Robinson essentially being posited as, is an anti-Semitic character, which is so <laughs> weird in wrestling because it's one of those things, right? Where it's like characters like juice, this isn't a film, right? Like this is juice is going to be wrestling for maybe another 10, 15, 20 years. We don't know. And it's like, okay. So at one point he had an anti-Semitic gimmick, but now he's <laughs> a baby. It's like, these are things that exist and stay on the record, right? It's not just things that get forgotten really. Um, and you know, to like, just all of it was so fucking bad and unoriginal and just like, it, dude, yeah. Okay. No. I'm now. I'm just talking about the actual main event. We, but, we yes. never. We, we never really got into the anti-Semitic deal that they had. Um, but it was really bad. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was so bad that this is the one thing Tony Khan. Because remember, uh, MGF gave this passionate, like Twitter thread that he had where he was like, "This is my story. I have the right to do this." Uh, you know, like, and I'm going to tell it my way, and I'm going to kill that bastard, Juice Robinson. And then the next week, they totally erased all of the stuff about the corners. <laughs> and so yeah. clearly, Tony Khan said, no, you ain't. We're not going this route because it got such a negative reaction. And the timing of it with the real world stuff with Israel and all of the stuff going on, it couldn't have been worse <laughs> overall. Like, what were they thinking with that? One of the worst angles of the year in terms of timing, for sure, uh, I would say. Uh, but then, like you said, I think for something like Juice, and that's something like you're right. 
this can't just go away one day. Like when he turns babyface, you can't just forget about somebody being anti-Semitic. That's not right. You know, in, unless like you address it, right? Exactly. And that's exactly one what of those I was things say. again yeah. where it's like, okay, now are we doing like an a, a redemption angle for Juice Robinson? Is he going to? you know, take tolerance courses and read up on history and the dangers of white supremacy. Like, what the fuck is this guy going to do, right? Yeah. Like, this isn't the the program, or I would say it's the format that doesn't allow for this type of programming, unfortunately. And yeah. that's where I think the moral ambiguity has to, you know, exist more so outside of, you know, specific ideologies, right, and belief systems, and they have to exist more so just along, like, the general moral spectrum of, like, you did a bad action, right, um, that's not connected to an ideology, but just you fucking punched me in the back of the head, right? Um, and you can tell a lot of nuanced stories for that with that, but it, it's, yeah, this just isn't the medium nor the format yeah. to do that yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, do we really need Juice coming out and cutting a promo saying Zionism and J- Jewish aren't the same thing? Like, like, um, <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, I'm just thinking, oh, so Juice, yeah, he had, like, a Blues Brothers gimmick, and then he became a do- an anti-Semitic dog in Bullet Club, and now he's a baby fit. And it's just like, what? Wait, wait, can we go back real quick? Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, I'm I'm all for pushing the envelope. To be honest with you, I think that's something wrestling. The thing is, the social climate doesn't allow for that. Like you said, the medium just isn't the right place for a lot of this kind of stuff. I would I think it would be a great thing to have a redemption story, like you know, to cut that kind of promo. But I just don't think in this day and age that's what the I don't think that's what the fans want to see necessarily, uh, by and large, because you know I think that would have worked years ago. But I just don't think it will now. And like you said, I just don't think people want that out of their AEW or their wrestling uh, to, to get such a very real life. And that's a, a thing you a comment you saw a lot after that angle happened was, hey, I faced like, if I, you know, if you're a Jewish person, you faced something like this before uh, that brought back terrible memories and trauma that you might not want to relive at the end of the day. Uh, and it could be this. It could be any number of things. Uh, but the fact is, I don't think people want to relive those kind of memories in their wrestling show. Overall, but I, I That's would sad. I would be for something like that, like cutting a promo about tolerance and, and respecting Jewish people and not to, you know, go crazy with Zionism or anything like that. Uh, you know, like if you could cut a good heartfelt promo, I think that you could have a touching moment. I don't think with this character you can, though, like would you, to be honest with you, I don't think he's the right person for that message. The timing's bad. And it, it just was a really tacky angle to be honest with you and the way he said it like when he said the last name that's another thing i saw a lot about that was like the vitriol that he had and that's a testament to him as a heel performer to be fair uh, like there's no reason to believe juice has any of these feelings in real life but just as a, a performer as an actor he did it so well that it got people because wrestling's not the same as a movie to movie to a lot of people a lot of people really take it to a different level to where it is more real uh, it's those lines that get blurred in wrestling that wouldn't get wouldn't be so in a show, right? Like or a movie or something like that. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's because these characters continue on. We True. see them outside of the ring in real life, and they keep up these personas, right? Where it is that bleed through of something like a a neo kayfabe, right? Where uh, yeah, yeah, you know, 
the you know the great Josie Reisman. She she talks about it a lot in her Ringmaster book on Vince. But the reason Vince is able to do so many awful things in real life is because people just are like, well, that's who he is because of his on-screen character type thing, right? And so I think when we have like that, it's like that parasocial attachment, you know? Yeah. Where it's like rooting. Imagine being able to root for you know your favorite superhero, Spider Man. And then afterwards, he comes out of the screen and you can, like, shake his hand and buy his fucking T-shirt, right? Um, and it's one of those. I mean, it really is real-life superhero stuff like that. Um, and I think that, again, that's where the medium just doesn't do it favors. Yeah, and I agree. I totally agree with that. I think there have been promotions, and I think you're going to see it more on an independent level because those types of promotions are able to, you know, really hone in on and focus on those types of stories. Uh, but in terms of like national programming, it, it just, it, because also, right. If 90% of your show is going to be stuff like timeless Tony and yeah. Christian telling edge to go fuck himself and, you know, all of these things like Sky Blue becoming possessed from Julia Hart spray mist in her face and then a very serious, you know, sort of examination of anti-Semitism. It's like, yeah. wait, you're, what? A good point. you're making all right points right now. And, and that's not, again, to say that these stories shouldn't be told, but it's just like this is a fucking circus, right? Pro wrestling is its roots exist in the carnival. And now we've made the carnival so dressed up that we have pyrotechnics and we rent out arenas. It's a fucking traveling circus. And I, I don't I think it does those types of stories a disservice to include it on a platform like this, because I think you're really reducing the severity of it when, you know, it's sandwiched in between a Jeff Jarrett Texas Chainsaw match and, you know, fucking Daniel Garcia dancing afterwards. So do you think that do you think it's possible that a more serious like presentation of wrestling, you could get more into those real life stories that I think would push the envelope no matter what. But do you think that it would be better? Like, for example, I think a lot of us and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but a lot of the fans may or may not. I don't know. But maybe the presentation of Japanese wrestling specifically is a lot more serious than the wrestling in America. Do you think maybe – and again, not that this would ever happen. It would not even make any sense. But like if, say, an all-Japan pro wrestling did some kind of serious angle, like you know, like something like talking about a real-life issue of some sort, would it be better in that sort of circumstance than maybe the more carnival-like aspects of American wrestling? No, I, I don't even know about Japanese. I feel like the, the promotion itself would have to foundationally be rooted in the storytelling, yeah. I would almost say. Like, I think where Japanese wrestling really succeeds with some sort of storytelling like that is I go back to remember the New Japan show after like the dojo flooded and all that stuff. It was a tsunami yeah. or something like that. And you had Phantasmo and Juice cutting those promos were fucking throwing buckets of water out you know all day just trying to stop the dojo from flooding and now we're here and we're going to wrestle our hearts out like i think that's where wrestling is able to 
tell those really beautiful stories, right? And I, I would say Japanese wrestling is it's like that um that that all Japan six man tag match, right? That's such yeah. a reflection of like I think the show is called What Can We Do Now? Yeah, and that was like the first like, show during the pandemic, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like, will we ever wrestle again, right? What can we actually do? Does this actually matter anymore? And I think that Japanese wrestling is able to say that in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I think that to tell stories like this, like the promotion has to kind of be foundationally built upon it, right? Because do you okay? Do you remember that indi- that short-lived indie uh, camp leapfrog? Oh yeah. So that whole thing was based on really deep storytelling right now it was way more like (laughs) real life over the garden wall type shit right like um (laughs) sort of cartoon network like chowder storyline things with just all sorts of strange you know cartoonish characters and whatnot like effie was the ultimate evil i think you could do a promotion like that about something else maybe more serious right and um but again, like I think it has to be foundationally included, not just inserted randomly because it's, you know, any sort of institution, any sort of something, when you walk in there, its track record indicates its beliefs, right? Yeah. And so there's nothing about AEW that has ever told us that it's, you know, concerned with these sorts of issues. Um and I think that that's sort of where it, it fails the topic itself. And just, I mean, listen, he's a producer, people. He knows what he's talking about with this. Because a lot of this is deeper thinking <laughs> than, than, than I would say on it. But, you, I mean, you, everything you said was so right, I would say, overall. And just not the best medium for it, unless it was a very specific circumstance. And even then... I don't know. I don't know how that could work ever. Like, and what I think is going to happen ultimately with something like that. I, first of all, I think that storyline is completely toast. It'll never be mentioned again by anybody. I uh, like the stuff with the anti-Semitic stuff that Juice was doing. I think like we're meant to not even remember that, and we're going to go as far away from it as we can. I mean, literally, we went from that to a cubic zirconium ring. <laughs> like, you know, that was as hard of a shift as you could take from a very serious, like, angle to a cartoon angle like you said they purposely did that i would say um and i think that's all going to go away and and not even meant to be remembered even after this bullet club ends and they turn babyface. is there room for something like this you know it's just tough like you said the thing is we know for sure they haven't given us any reason to have confidence that it can be done well uh overall you know a long time ago in memphis wrestling and this is 30 over 30 years ago now they actually did an angle where Snowman, there's a wrestler named Snowman, and he came in and he was a black wrestler saying that the promotion was racist. Jerry Lawler was a racist on Memphis TV. And I'm from Memphis now. Uh, if you don't know anything about Memphis, a majority of the population here is black. It's like 70% over, I hear. It's not, you know, I know that's not the norm in most big cities, but that's how it is here. Uh, and they did, told the story. There was actually it was actually kind of tastefully done where Lawler had defenses for the accusations against him. Snowman had his point of view. Some of it leaned a little over the line. Some of it was very reasonable. And I think that's how it would happen in real life, you know, because even real people sometimes are not always perfect at the end of the day. And, you know, in terms of like 
maybe they'll be too defensive on some things or we'll be too defensive if we have it again. Maybe some people probably argued during that anti-Semitic angle that it wasn't anti-Semitic, which is wrong. It was, it was, you know, I think pretty clearly to me. Uh, but, you know, some people just have different points of views on things. And it was done very tastefully back then. In this day and age, I just circle back to the same thing. I don't think this is what people want to see. Uh, if it was very serious, again, like if, if they just brought in Ronda Rousey to Ring of Honor, right? Uh, like that, that got built in here. Imagine if they actually touched on her transphobic comments in the past. And they did a storyline <laughs> with with Nyla Rose, like where, again, ideally, if it was a redemption story, maybe Ronda sees that, hey, like my mind was closed off then. I was being stupid. I was wrong. And now I know better. Like, would people want to see that angle? You know, like in all honesty. I mean, I have no clue. I, I don't think so, because, again, it's like it's scripted television. So how yeah. do we know this is authentic? And it's true. Uh, I think I can, like, for me at least, I can tie it up like this um, because I do want to talk about Full Gear. This has been a wonderful fucking opening hour, though. Um, It's like, okay, so the intention of MJF's proposed storyline, right? He wants to show that he can rise up and win against adversity, right? Now, let's compare the two people that have kind of become, like, you know, uh, representatives, Uh, We can say for the Jewish community and then the queer community and Anthony Bowens and MJF right now. Let's look at the way that they have approached this responsibility that they feel right. Anthony Bowens has talked about how proud he is to be a champion, how proud he is to be able to be gay and live his truth in this company and how they celebrate that. Um, You know, House of Black doesn't have to come out and Brody King's not like. I'm going to beat you up because you're gay, because that would be so (laughs) unnecessary, right? Because what Anthony Bowens has successfully communicated to us as the audience is that he has risen up and won against adversity simply by winning the titles and being in the position he is in, even just by being in the company, right? So I think what MJF is failing to see is that he already has told this story simply by winning the world title and being in the position, but for whatever reason, nothing ever seems to be enough for this guy, and it's like he just constantly has to do these things over and over, and it's like it's so over the top and hammered in and just fucking like you know obnoxiously in your face that again i think that he doesn't realize the stories he's already told just by simply being in this position and i think that that's a great story he's told that you know he always says is is a adhd riddled jewish boy writer or whatever it is he says like he is the world champion and he always says and i'm the world champion and i have to and i'm like but dude you already said it right you did it you proved everyone everyone wrong you made it here and i think that that is the definitive statement against anti-semitism right in terms That's of like a good point. you were able to overcome any anti-semitism and adversity that you faced in this career thus far because you've reached the pinnacle right and now you are at the top and you proved everyone wrong wrong you showed that someone with adhd you showed that someone who is jewish can reach the top so now you know why jump back i don't know it's it's just again it's fucking overkill and that just seems to be the 
his theme. <laughs> and that's not to say that, I mean, we saw it with the fan with the sign about the quarters. He, as the champion, could still face anti-Semitic behavior from bad people, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but I agree with you putting it out in the forefront like that may be a step too far. <laughs> and something like with Bowens, there's no way they would ever even dream of touching like a homophobic character on, on AEW TV. Like in any sense of the word, that would, that would never happen <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and I think that that we should treat these scenarios kind of equally, you know, overall. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. And I just wanted to say, you know, I do want to clarify it's it's definitely not that MJF cannot face anti-Semitism yeah, anymore. I but I think saying. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's OK. It's OK. Uh, overall. Um, but, yeah, like you said, there's a lot to be proud of with his heritage and, and they've done a lot of great things. I would the same thing with Bowens. I mean, he has every right to celebrate him being gay. But for a storyline purpose, I don't think it works in the modern era. I just I just keep going back to that. I don't think the fans want to see that. And you're really putting guys – and I mean we'll see what happens with Juice, how the fans take it when that eventual babyface turn comes. But my, my thought on it is I think they've done such a strong job of kind of whitewashing this away uh, that we're probably – like I don't think a lot of people will even remember that by the time it happens overall. And I think that – I mean, you could criticize it. You could praise it. You know, I don't know what to think of it. I just thought it was the thing I think about it for sure is that it was a terrible idea to do to do overall. Uh, yeah. But there would be more terrible ideas on the show, just less offensive ones, I guess. <laughs> overall, that's the good thing. So, yeah, they announce uh, Shivani's there and they say that Adam Cole comes out. He's like, I'm going to fight him for the title. Uh, so it's now Adam Cole versus Jay White. This is a match they've hyped all night, as you said. With MJF's ankle being pilmanized, Adam Cole also has a legitimately uh, messed up leg and ankle. But he's wrestling anyway, so and nobody seems to care. It doesn't bother anybody <laughs> too much overall. But the show starts off with this <laughs> goofy, like, choir, like, choir here to sing Christian down to the ring because he's always talking about dead dads and stuff. It's such a ridiculous character. When you think it about was, it, it was all like, it was a young girl's choir, right? Which was yeah. just like to introduce the patriarchy. I don't know. I think Christian, he's doing it well. It, it oh, was yeah, so his, his <laughs> ridiculous. Performance, yeah. His performance is awesome. Yeah. Like he's one of the best on the show. Hands down to me in terms of promos but just the way this like look at how this is set up he's joined by this 18 year old guy that he's stolen away from his mom and i like delusional dinosaur guy what kind of faction is this it's the patriarchy oh. i mean it kind of works i don't know the patriarchy I just, of dinosaurs <laughs> like when when you look at all the names on this pay-per-view and i'm like guess which one of these people got a intro of young girls singing their like um doing an acapella performance of their theme and you'd be like oh geez like i don't know hangman hey, like there's so many good people and you're like christian and you're like oh god that's horrible that's he did not deserve that. And um, I didn't realize who it was at first, too. Uh, so I don't know. 
I, but yeah, I completely agree. The faction makes no fucking sense. And honestly, I was really hoping that Christian would like uh, give Nick Wayne like a dark puka shell necklace or <laughs> like um, or like a little gold chain. He's like, you got to switch it up now because Nick Wayne's in like all dark gear now trying to look like a heel. And then he's just got this dumbass puka shell necklace still. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and then we got Edge in face paint, so he got to do his Sting thing. That's true. He had to fit in with, with Sting's group here. Uh, Sting, Darby, Adam, uh, Darby Allen, and Adam Copeland, they they countered the choir by bringing in Ric Flair uh, to, to celebrate Sting here. Uh, I mean, the match was good, to be honest with you, I, I thought. You can't go wrong with Darby in an opener. I think he's so great that he will just make everything work. Like no matter what situation you put him in to make an exciting opener. I mean, he's taking crazy bumps. No matter what he does, he just cannot get injured uh, for somehow, some way. Uh, they chose Slender on the apron. It was devastating, of course. Um, <laughs> he's got to fly to Vegas or to Mount Everest on a red eye after this. That'll be his next move. Like that I said, was what, the call right after he got choke slammed, yeah. I think, by Nigel, which was hilarious. Yeah, it was good. Um, so they ended up uh, doing stuff with Christian and, and, and Copeland, Edge, whatever, uh, finally coming in there. Uh, everybody comes in, and then Allen uh, did his crazy suicide dive. Sting did a dive off the apron. Definitely not up to the high levels of Sting that we've seen in the past with the apron dive. Usually he's diving off the balcony. Like this time he's toned it down at least a little <laughs> bit. Uh, Christian and, and Flair. Flair, how is this man even on TV ever? The stuff he was doing to Cage looks so ridiculous that he would even att- – like the idea that this would hurt anyone is just ridiculous <laughs> at the end of the day. Christian hits him with a low blow, and then uh, he hits Luchasaurus with the title accidentally. But then uh, they they come in. Uh, he hits the spear on Luchasaurus, and then Darby hits the coffin drop to get the pin in 15 minutes. Uh, so there clearly this was a setup, both to continue building Sting and Darby for what we all think should be Sting's final match, as well as Edge and Christian uh, for a big match later on. Yeah, um, I thought Christian was the best part of this match. Like, he's just so good at being the ultimate chicken shit. Um, it was the know, turtleneck, wasn't it? It's always the turtleneck. It's such a great factor. And, you know, the first stare down with Edge, and then he immediately tags out. He spends more time running what if around Nick on the Wayne, outside of the ring. He, what if he gifted Nick Wayne a turtleneck? See, that, and then you can't even see the necklace. Or, you know what would be hilarious? Nick Wayne wearing the puka shell necklace over the turtleneck, like the rock and the gold chain. I would love that. That's what we need. Um, Also, Luchasaurus in a turtleneck would be great. Yes. But uh, yeah, like this was this was fun. Um, I really think that Christian is just like he is what. I wish Jay White was kind of in terms of like, I feel like they have similar styles in a way, but um, yeah, well, it, it was, um, I thought this was a fun opener. Um, pr- 
pretty forgettable in the end. Like definitely just the big sort of transition, you know, set piece to move into the actual meat of the feud, which will be hopefully Copeland and um, Christian. Like I really, I don't want or feel like Darby needs to be attached to Nick Wayne anymore. It's been like months of this story and I, I don't think it needs to climax there yet. I hope Darby moves on to something else. What about um, when he knocked his tooth out that time? Oh, was that in the Owen Hart thing? No, this was after he turned on him. Uh, they had this big, it was when uh, Nick Wayne was talking, they had the backstage interview with Nick Wayne and his mom <laughs> and she slapped him and he was like, I hate you, mom. And I remember watching it with Ken, my grandpa, and he's, he yelled out, hit him again, <laughs> when she slapped him. <laughs> um, but then Christian was like, you should have answered my DMs, bitch, or, or, or whatever he said. And then they walked out of the room. I think JR was doing the interview. And suddenly you hear a big ruckus. Darby's beating the hell out of Nick Wayne, and they fly down the ramp, and you see Nick Wayne with his tooth knocked out and bloodied, and it was disgusting. Oh. Yeah. It was a great angle. <laughs> I didn't see that, but no, I mean, I just, I feels like Darby and Singh have been connected to this for so long now. Um, just with the TNT, everything from Luchasaurus to, let me I, ask you this. Are you interested in edge and Christian fighting? Um, yeah, honestly. Um, because I, I'm very like, they're a story where I, I'm just interested to see where it goes. Like, have a singles match and then maybe a tag team run. I don't know. But it like, it's one of those things where I, I appreciate that they're doing this first for edge instead of waiting, because I feel like that's such a symptom of AEW, right? Like when they brought Danielson in the first thing they did, he's like, I'm going to fight Kenny Omega. And it's like, thank you because there's so much other shit you want to see. Right. But it's almost like you have to do this, before moving on to the other stuff for me at least um just because it's like how do you keep them apart i don't know Uh, Um, for me though i just to me this is something i'm not saying you're wrong (laughs) with the point you made but i think that's more so let's get this over with more so than oh this is uh, a program i'm very interested in uh because i just edge to me doesn't do it for me to be honest with you and thus far in AEW, I've seen little reason to change my mind on that. Christian, I love and think is awesome and is a wonderful heel. I just don't think they have a great match in them. Maybe it'll be a plunder match and they'll prove me wrong, which, I mean, that's kind of their specialty, right? The TLC, you know, legends. Uh, maybe yeah. they could do something like that. But I don't know. I'd like to see the TNT title. <laughs> somewhere else not necessarily at darby i think he's totally fine with sting <laughs> right now uh that match is going to be a huge deal <laughs> when they get to his last match <laughs> and i think that they need to keep on that trail but i do think that that i would see christian against some other people edge we'll see um i'll try to have an open mind with him but uh, i'm not that excited about it to be honest with you uh, we did have the thing I talked about where they brought Jay White out and they did Adam Cole interrupting it. Uh, yeah, so they set up Adam Cole with Jay in the main event, uh, you know, whatever, in there. They do a recap video for Orange Cassidy and John Moxley. Think of how, how much better the world would be if OC had just won their match the first time and how much better things would be if we could get there. But regardless... 
We can't change the past and all of their many mistakes. So we got here. And I have to say, this, this was a good match. And I think that people were a little lower on it. If you look at the cage match ratings for this, I do think they were a little hard on it uh, overall, with it being uh, a 6.92. That's a below 7. I would at least give it a 7 personally. But it's clear that this match wasn't as good as the first one, and the story was so out of whack that I think that hurt it. But it was never going to be as good as the first one, because remember, their first match was in the main event. It had all of this emotional stakes to it. The crowd was going crazy. Here, the crowd was still good for this, but they weren't able to top the first match. And I am very happy that OC got the win here. Uh, you know, because I, I think a lot of people thought that Moxley was going to win and they were just going to get back to wherever they were going to go with it. It makes you wonder where they were actually going with it in the first place, to be honest with you. They just moved away from it. Um, I also think the stuff with Phoenix, they should have held off maybe deciding this belt. I think, you know what I think would have also been good if he had. The best thing that could have happened is he just sort of won the first time. Uh, I, I said it the night that happened, and I think they made a mistake by not having OC win. And I feel only stronger about it now. But if you were going to have Mox win, I think OC, he should have been gone for a while. Like, he should have disappeared. And by the time maybe they hold up the, the title with Phoenix, they have Moxley versus somebody else. Moxley wins the title back, and then OC makes a surprise return after two months away. And he says, all right, now this is a new – like, this is not going to be the same Orange Cassidy you beat before. And this happens how it did. I think it would have been much more emotionally efficient to have OC win the title here and overcome his biggest mountain uh, in Moxley instead of defending the title while beating Moxley, if that makes sense. What do you think? Yeah, um you know, taking the story out of the match, um, or I would say the surrounding narrative. I think the story of the match was OC having to, you know, obviously meet and exceed Moxie's level of violence. Um, yes, that was pretty much the first match as well, but I think that that had the inclusion of, you know, all the weapons stuff. And I think yeah. that the story was still different in terms of like, OC was looking at Moxley, I don't know, is more so of like something to a mountain to conquer. Right. And that got that rippled over to here. But I felt like by the time this match began, it was like two mountains fighting each other, even though OC expressed the fact that he's the one person I haven't bet, you know, beat. I think that as we said, after that main event, Moxley did elevate him to that level though. So this felt like, you know, two superpowers colliding or whatever. And for a 10 minute slugfest, I mean, OC boasts open Moxley hard way, whatever, like Moxley has that nasty, like gash on his head. I feel like that just opens up now randomly. It happened in the Ishii <laughs> match too. Um, hard hitting as hell. Like I liked it. I, I would give this, you know, like close to a four, probably three, three and three quarters, four, um, I, I, I went in with very tempered expectations as well. Like, I, I think that having not really watched AEW for the most part since like that whole Tuesday fiasco and pretty much, um, I would say all out, yeah. uh, I, I thought that 
this was a good course correction, right? And that's pretty much what I was hoping for, as we said when we started this show, you know, was yeah, yeah. what I was primarily looking for out of this show was course correction. So um, I thought it was a great match to help us get there. It was really cool, and I really liked when Cassidy actually used Hook's move, uh, the the yep. red rum. Uh, I thought that was like a nice little tease. They kind of did a tease, too, with Yuta and Hook, like after the match, uh, bumping into each other. Uh, they're two guys that would benefit from the tournament as well if they wanted to do something like that. I, uh, you, you know, overall, I do a little story with them. Where do you think – here's my ultimate problem with all of this. Where do you think they go next with OC? Because we've done the title reign. He finally beats Moxley. It was in a really screwed up way with injuries and stuff like that. But the fact remains, like, we're here there. We're here now, rather. Where do you think they go next with OC? Like, uh, it's really hard to say just because I, I really don't know. It seems like there's no seeds laid. Um I, in terms of people who I think could be a great next international champion, Takeshita, I would say. Well, I think right now you just hit on the main problem. The only thing left for him is to lose the title, like to, to somebody uh, else. Yeah. And, and I think if you no, had, I, had him beat Moxley the first time, like again, this is my whole point when we did that show about it. That should have been his elevation to the main event scene. Like, he wins a main event on pay-per-view. He is the top champion of, of AEW now. Uh, and instead, we've got this goofy storyline. And, like, again, not all of their fault. A lot of injuries had to make this happen this way. But the fact remains, his big win was the second match on the card in a match that I thought was really well built up, actually. Uh, the 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 hot promo that Moxley did... Uh, and we've seen Cassidy talk a little bit more. I think that's a nice little uh, evolution of his character. But now I feel like if he had won then and you could have lo- had a dramatic loss like on this show to, to who if it was Takeshita, I totally agree. He'd be a great choice. Uh, and I think we always wanted that. If you could have gotten to a big loss here and it would have been like one of the top matches on the card, like one of the most heavily promoted matches, you could easily turn around and have OC like go for the title. I think that's the thing he's missing now. Like go for the world title and be in a main event. I don't know if you could do that with MJF right now, the way the storylines are going. We'll see what happens if there's some more course corrections after the reactions to the main event that we have here, because I do think this title reigns winding down and it needs to like at the the end of the day, they're going to force it until 2024 for their stupid contract storyline. But after that, I think there's room for an OC um, you know, maybe you have a quick title change to somebody else. OC going for the world title, I think, would mean a lot. But they're just not in a good spot right now because of everything they've done to screw screw it all up. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think that that before OC drops it, he has a lot of work to do yeah. to re-elevate it. Um, like, God damn, dude. I will say that, you know, AEW has really suffered from having a title feel like one of the most prestigious titles in the business and then just immediately falling off the face of the earth. Like TN, remember how good the TNT title used to be? Yeah. And what was it? Cody, Darby, Miro. And then the second Sammy won it, everything got fucked. 
um, you know, international title, world title. It's been a constant like and what's what's wild to me is that every single time it falls down, it just begins to hot potato because it's like actively seeing them failing to you know, figure out how to reposition it. And it's one of those things where it's like, even like, it's, I don't know. It's like watching someone write a rough draft, but on live television. Right. And it's just, it really, really is a fall from grace for these titles. And it sucks. I totally agree. Uh, Where do you think Moxley goes from here? I don't I mean hope I would imagine just the Continental Classic I feel like yeah and maybe that's why they didn't set up anything for OC is I mean hopefully him and Moxley both go in um technically they're one one now as well right so yeah uh, I that's think a good point maybe building up to a final rubber match like worlds and you know in name and everything else I feel like that's got to be the definitive you know Copeland christian oc moxley three um you know mjf cole whatever it is that they're doing like yeah just end the fucking stories for the year please. yeah blow, blow all of this up and, and try to reset for 2024 totally agree yeah uh, that's a good start i think that's a good thing about the tournament is that they do have to buy time to buy with these two <laughs> just stick these guys in the tournament you give them a story for the the end of the year and maybe you get around to them, neither one of them winning the tournament, but they have a chance to blow it off at the end of the year with their third match of their series. So I'm down for that. They announced Mark Briscoe's in the Continental Classic. Uh, and I mean, hey, he eats Continental breakfast. So why not be in this as, as well? <laughs> Great promo for, for Mark. I, I love Mark. Uh, very good stuff there. Uh, now we get to a controversial match of the show. The women's title. Tony Storm versus Hikaru Shida. And this is a lo- the second lowest rated match on the show. I mean, the main event is like dreadfully low, and this is a little bit better, but still low rated. Um, I have a couple of problems with this, to be honest with you. I think first and foremost, the finish was totally dumb. Like, like the, the referee... Doing it right in front of the referee was so stupid. All they had to do was take a little bit more care and effort. We've talked about it off the air. There are times where, you know, companies will screw up bad, especially WCW (laughs) in their day. (laughs) But they'll screw up so bad that there's really no coming back from it. With AEW, a lot of times they'll have something that is mostly good, but the problem is the the problems that they have – are so easy to fix and they still make these easy mistakes that they shouldn't be making. And it's twice as frustrating as something you just kind of throw your hands up in the air at with some of these other companies. Um, and I thought this was a good case of that. They didn't do the match in black and white, which a lot of people feared <laughs> that they would. Uh, they thought this whole match would be black and white. It wasn't instead. As soon as Tony won, the crowds, like filter swap to black and white like she won so now it's her it's timeless tony era i I guess now uh but yeah uh, i feel bad for sheeta man Uh, like it sucks that they that another 
like wax title reign. Like they didn't even really give her a chance. Uh, it's tough. What'd you think? Okay, again, this was like a Moxley OC two where I'm like, this feels like a lot of these feuds. Okay, I would say feel like they're in a vacuum, right? Where they exist outside of necessity more out than rather a great organic storytelling, right? Like they have to tell these to get ahead to what they actually want to do. Um, so okay, is a Sheeta fan? This did not hurt anywhere near as much as Wembley. Um, yeah. Just because that's when I really expected a second reign. Um, so here, I was like, you know what? Sheeta beats Soraya. That is fucking great. I love that. I think that says a lot right there and how they do see her. Um, and in a way of like, you know, because Soraya is probably one of their biggest names. I can't think of her taking any big like singles pinfalls really um like i don't even think Britt beat her and then so for me i was like you know what i feel like last year we did not even get Sheeta's pay-per-view matches and now we've gotten her albeit in two matches she's lost but two you know big pay-per-views uh where she's gotten to defend the title and i think she got to do it here against the biggest act in the business or not the business sorry and the company right now for the women's division um you know, I I expected Tony to win. I did not expect Sheeta. There was not one percent of me that expected her to retain. Yeah. But there were a couple parts where they got me. Um, where you know I thought they had a couple great false finishes. Here's the thing, like with the interference, I totally get it. Like the frustration, especially with the ass plate, because even in the end, I saw it and I was like, wow, that is literally just in the tights in front of Aubrey, because I think. Tony like sat on Sheeta, right? Is she? Yeah, that was how. Yeah, that was the pin. She sat on her, so like literally, her her butt is directly in Aubrey's face. Um, the things I appreciated about the interference, I will say, the beat or the the shoe spot, I thought was perfect. Um, she did not miss a beat. Like she walks in, holds up the shoe, Aubrey takes it, and then she immediately walks past, pulls the other out, and smacks her. Like it remind it had the fluidity of a something of like Wardlow handing the ring to Punk, you know. And in interference spots, a lot of the time, I think fluidity is what gets me or what sells them to me the most. Um, what I liked was the in, the intent of the last spot. I like how. You know, it didn't end with the strong zero, storm zero. I also liked how Sheeta hit Tony with her own finisher. I thought that was awesome. Um, I liked how Tony ended the move with the hip attack because everyone's always like, dude, it's like a, it looks like it murders people. And I thought her putting in the plate also protected Sheeta too. Like I thought Sheeta took a lot in this to where she looked again like she is the ace of the, it's like the ace versus the star, right? but not in a way where it feels forced like Soraya just writing off like the past. Um, but yeah, impact it's, you know, it just makes the referees look like total dumbasses again. And I do have to acknowledge that. Um, but man, like I, I really enjoyed this. Like if I gave, if I'm being gracious, I gave, you know, OC and Moxley like a three and three quarters. And I'd give this like a three and a half, like for for real, I thought the opening stretches with all of the chops were brutal. Like Tony's chest was purple within like a minute and a half of the match. And it, it, I don't know. Sometimes when I see a rating this low 
I'm like, dude, there's so much worse shit that we get out there. And, and this does just feel biased in a way. I don't know. Because outside of that, that ending spot, like I really thought that this was just a great hard hitting contest. I think this match gained respect after the main event. <laughs> like the main event was so terrible <laughs> that this looked better in comparison. Uh, but the finish was awful. It really ruined the match, to be honest, in my opinion. Um, the gimmick, she does great. Like in the ring, she does a great worker. They continue to not do anything to make any like if you're not a fan of hers already, like as a wrestler, you have mm. no reason to be invested in Hikaru Shida based on how they use her, which is a terrible thing because they actually have like she has a lot to her that they're missing, in my opinion, that I don't think they'd really show the, as much as they should. As far as Tony, the gimmick is clearly much better not in wrestling. Like just her behind the scenes, the stuff with the vi- like the videos they made during the commercials, that stuff's all really great and funny, and I really enjoy it. Her in the ring, I don't think she's really been able to formulate it with the Tony Storm wrestler. You know, compare this to their match before, uh, the one in August where Sheeta won the title, which was a great match, uh, and I think this really didn't have as nearly as much. I don't even think the fans really kind of know what to do with her. Actually, it's not that they don't like her. It's not even that they, it's not that they like her or don't like her. It's just that they, I don't think they know what to do with this gimmick when it gets into the ring overall. Did you get that sense? No, um, I thought this was personally the the most that Tor- Tony felt she was able to combine or marry the character and her in ring. Um, the outfit, it reminds me a lot of like Jeff King who's this deathmatch wrestler on the indies, but he, you know, pretty much wears the Andre singlet and a lot of his stuff. Like Tony had the ridiculous windup, right? A lot of her offense felt more slapsticky and even just the execution of some of her signature moves, like the bulldog, it all felt, you know, to me more in line with kind of like silent cinema and the, you know, obnoxious yeah. expressiveness and i thought she was able to work that well like it, it's more vaudevillain um than it is stardom but i again like i think she found a good middle point between the two and like my comparison point for this match i would say is like tony versus soraya right how much interference was in that how ugly all the interference i thought looked how yeah. basic and how cheap it was like we had seen the outsiders interference stuff so many times it's just the spray paint every single time um i thought they did new stuff in here i've never seen the steel plate in the butt before and like in that sense is someone who has seen you know thousands of house of torture and bloodline and outsiders and all this similar shit and bullet club. Right. It's like, I appreciate they did something new and I'll take that. So yeah, again, like I thought that this was way better, especially like I would say that the golden jets and young bucks match, I would switch those ratings. Wow. Well, you're standing, uh, you are standing up for what you believe in here. You will defend timeless Tony and her wrestling to the ends of the earth, clearly here. Uh, what do you think about what they did after? We'll talk about the Golden Jets match a little bit, because I have my own thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like this match overall. Uh, 
I would like to see what they they're going with the Mariah May gimmick, which came out afterwards, where she gave Tony uh, flowers, and then but she kind of wasn't that into it, and Luther just took Tony Storm away afterwards. <laughs> uh, well, what what do you think about Mariah coming in as Tony Storm's biggest fan? Uh, it, it's interesting. Um, you know. I think it's it like I can't think of any other uses of her that would be better in terms of spotlight. Like Tony is the champion. She's the number one in the division. They are doing it smart, too. I really liked how Mariah did the whole Tony went to stardom. So I did, too. Right. Like, I think they're playing off the history in a really smart way where it's less like, OK, if we look at something like what Mickey James and Trish Stratus. Right. Or was it Christy and Trish? No, it was a Trish and Mickey. Trish and Mickey. Like, that was very psychosexual, right? And I think that that was, like, yeah. you know, very symptomatic of, like, Vince's just awful misogynistic shit. This is way more like, you well, know. Well, that, that gimmick was based on a single white female. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that fucking movie. Um, and just, like, I don't know. This one feels, like, more super fan. It feels more modern. I don't know, like that weird parasocial stuff and the fan, it, like it all connects well. The history, the fan angle works with the movie Starlet. Um, like it, it just, I don't know. I think it connects well. What do you think? I think it's great that they have an idea for Mariah. At least uh, it shows you that this is something long. And with the how much they put into Tony, you know, this is someone that they have long term plans for, which I think Mariah May absolutely deserves that. She's a great performer. You can't replicate her look. And uh, she's uh, the type of person you want to build around in the division will help it immediately and in the future. (laughs) I saw some people – go on. Oh, no. Go ahead. Sorry. I saw some people also make comparisons to this storyline to the 1950s movie All About Eve, which is about an actress who gets overtaken. And they tell they tell this convoluted and long story about the movie. Here's my issue with this. I don't want to give a shit about a movie from 1950. Like in my in my wrestling storylines. Can't we just do a normal storyline? <laughs> like what what would be wrong with that? Why can't we do something normal? Like overall. <laughs> uh the stuff with Mickey and Trish, yeah, I mean hopefully nobody gets kidnapped. I guess in this one. That's the that's the most we can hope for if they draw that out. Um, but it's a storyline. It's something I don't completely hate it. Like you said, it fits with Tony's character. I'm not completely down on Tony storm as a TV character in ring with this gimmick. I definitely am not a huge fan of what we saw in that match, but I I'll give it more of a chance and I'm not down on the character. I just think it could have been done a little bit better. And I definitely don't need to see all about Eve storylines from 75 years ago, uh, on, on, on my AEW. Um, <laughs> But the the characters are good, and I think Mariah May is a great talent. Uh, she was a very good signing overall. Uh, so I, I'm somewhat into it. So, with that said... I can't wait for you to recap this four-way ladder match. You got every move, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, oh, uh, yeah. Well, what about what we had next... The the World Tag Team title four-way ladder match. You've got Big Bill and Ricky Starks 
the kings of the Black Throne, Brody King and Malachi Black, that geek, and uh, LFI, Drillistico and Roosh, and FTR were all in this. So yeah, this match was nuts. Uh, even for any like, I'm somebody who is strongly anti ladder match at this point. I've seen them so many times. We've done everything we can possibly do with them, but this match still like overcame the odds and was badass at, at the end. Uh, I love this start where Roosh was just beating the hell out of people. Roosh is like one of my favorite wrestlers at AEW. That guy should be on TV every week. He should be in the tournament. Uh, yes. Roosh just beating the hell out of everybody. Released to go hit a wild move. Uh, he did a he did a moonsault and then uh, Malachi Black did a moonsault. Uh, people were flying all over the place. Dax, you knew I knew this was coming. I knew Dax was going to do the Terry Funk spot uh, o- overall, and he did it. And he was probably so happy when he did that. And of course, Roosh uh, beat the hell out of uh, Wheeler. Uh, in the in the corner, and then did the uh, the pose in the middle of the ring, the trunkulo there. Uh, they go on back and forth. Uh, Wheeler got a low blow on Roosh, and then a pile driver on the. No, it was Black, I think. Uh, and he hit the pile driver onto the ladder, uh, which looked insane to take. Uh, Black, <laughs> uh, there's all the talk about his back injury, but listen. And I said, I'm not a big fan of his character or his character work at all, but nobody could question his effort when he takes bumps like this on here. Big Bill tipped over the, the corner. Uh, Drillistico hit the MX uh, on Big Bill. Uh, Drillistico was flying around doing crazy stuff. And in the end, everybody goes down. Starks goes up, uh, knocks out FTR, and grabs the belts. And I mean... It was this was a very entertaining match. I wouldn't say it was a great match or anything that like blew me away. This was still like more. I would say this is like a three and three quarters star match. It's still well worth watching, though. And for the gimmick, the ladder match, I might even be a little bit of a low man on it because I just I'm usually against the ladder. But I thought these guys totally succeeded in it overall. And uh, it was my favorite thing on the show to this point, to be honest. Yeah, like when I think of like crazy memorable ladder matches, this one stands out a lot to me. And it almost reminded me of that NXT one, you know, where it's like Cole's debut. You had Ricochet. Um, God damn, who else? EC3. Uh, oh, my God. Lars Sullivan. OK, never mind. But that yeah, was yeah, a good ladder about? match. That was a good ladder match. Um, it was just chaos. It was pure chaos. Um, yeah, the pile driver spot on the ladder made me gasp. Uh, I thought Cash Wheeler was an absolute workhorse in this match. Him and Roosh especially, I thought, were the centerpieces. Um, there was the spot where, what was it, Big Bill kills Drillistico, right, on the ladder? Yeah. And then right after, Cash is like, I'm going to get my shit in. And he's picking up that broken ladder, and he's laying Big Bill on it. Then he hits the splash. Like, he was on a tear during this match. Um, Also, just want to shout out Roosh and Harwood. The night before on Collision was also great. Um, I'm pretty sure Roosh chopped Dax's chest open. He was, like, bleeding, like the Jericho Ishii match. So that was pretty wild. 
But um, yeah, honestly, I could say that this was probably my third favorite match on the show. And I would put that like I, I feel like I could tie this with OC and Moxley. Um, I, I will say I was very surprised that Starks and Big Bill retained. Um, it really makes me think that the Golden Jets are going to win the titles um, because they protected, you know, the actual tag teams in this match, uh, the established ones. Because I was like, oh, wow, you know, it feels like we haven't really had a deep tag team division for a while. I was like, wow, I could see Kings of the Black Throne winning, LFI, FTR again. And then it was Big Bill and Starks, which isn't to say I don't like them. I'm very happy for them as tag team champions. But it almost feels like they're keeping the belts on them. So Jericho and Omega have actual established teams to feud with during their run, which I'm not excited for. Yeah, I really like Starks and Big Bill. Uh, I think they have great chemistry together. Yes. Even though they said they were two singles guys, uh, rather than being a a tag team, they said that at the press conference. I really like them together. I think Starks is a great talker. We saw what he could do against Brian uh, when given the chance to have a great match. Yep. And Big Bill has to be among the most improved guys. Uh, he's benefited more than almost anybody could think of from his AEW run so far. Uh, you can criticize a lot of AEW booking, but not what they've done with Big Bill. He's done great. Uh, so, yeah, this is really good. Then we have the TBS title here. Triple threat three-way match. Sky Blue versus Julia Hart versus Chris Statlander defending the title. Sky Blue came out with a new, whole new entrance. Uh, she came out with this, like, uh, screamo theme uh, that she had, and then she took her hat that she always wears, threw it to the ground, stomped it, and put this black crown on her head. It was stupid. To, to be honest, I, I didn't like that part. You texted uh, me, oh, God, Sky Blue got a new entrance. and <laughs> Just uh, listen, because we... Sky Blue and Red Velvet was one of the worst matches of the year on, on TV, uh, I, I would argue. Uh, and she, listen, I'm not going to hate on her too much because, listen, this match really over-delivered on my expectations in general. I was not hyped for this at all <laughs> going into it. But somehow, I really think Stat deserves a lot of credit Um if you look at her run and just her as a wrestler in general, she really has no matches that are that standout, like that are match of the year level or anything that will be really lived throughout time or anything like that. But if you look at her actual talent and what she does in the ring, she has to be one of the most complete packages that they have uh, in AEW uh, for especially the women's division. She can work with lesser talent and bring them up. She can work with bigger talent and match them. She can hold a match together. She was basically the glue of the match uh, in this match, I would argue. And I think she deserves a lot of credit for Julia and Sky Blue looking so good. Sky Blue's never looked as good as she did in this match. And she never hit her finisher as good as she did in this match (laughs) either. Um, And the finish was just awesome, I thought. Um how cool was it with Statlander being the suplex machine coming in there as Taz did not like to, to say, uh, he was like, Hey, wait a minute. Don't call her the, the suplex machine. I'm the human suplex machine. Yeah. Uh, 
and that was very funny. But she was awesome, though. She suplexed both of them. And, and in the end, Statlander hit Saturday Night Fever on Blue, but then Hart immediately came in and got the pin for the win. A great finishing stretch and a really good match uh, overall. I thought this way over-delivered my expectations. This was one of the matches I was not going into that much going into it. But by the end of it, I thought, damn, this was a really good match. Uh, overall, credit to all three of these women. They did a fantastic job, and congratulations to Julia Hart, who, uh, you know, she looked great here. She's got the presence that you really can't teach. It's really hard to, and <laughs> uh, she has it. Wrestled more than well enough in this match. Did a good job. Let's uh, let's see where they go with her as TBS champion. What you think? Yeah, Stat was in full ring general mode here. Um, oh, can we just talk a bit? Stat, Ben Stiller dodgeball cosplay. How could you not root for this legend to, to be the champion? He'll turn. I, I don't know, actually. But yeah, I thought that was. Well, she was always, TV, she continues. She does the Ben Stiller entrances now. All the characters have been Ben Stiller, right? Zoolander, Dodgeball. Who will we get next? Who do you think? Yeah. Why do you think that she loves Ben Stiller so much? I don't know. Short Kings. Like she's friends Is with OC, that- right? That so, what this is really all about? Yeah. Maybe maybe a meet the Fockers gimmick. <laughs> she comes out dressed like in a in a nurse outfit next. She's doing the meet the parents. Yeah. Yeah, I I could go for that. Uh, I, I guess uh, I don't know. But why Vince Stiller? I I have no clue. I guess it's better than her coming out dressed as like Ace Ventura, right? That'd probably be pretty fucked. <laughs> Jim Carrey was a, was another of her idols. We don't know that for sure. But, <laughs> but uh, no, she, she Anchorman was, needs to be her next one. Who? Anchorman. Oh, or her his Mystery Man character. Do you remember that movie? Oh yeah, hey, I I like the Mystery Man. Kel Mitchell was yep. in that. Shout out Mystery Man. We love you. Come the back. Underrated cult classic. <laughs> Mystery Man, we wait for your return. Um, make one of those like Japanese wrestling shirts. Uh, <laughs> what could have been in this era of superhero movies if Mystery what Man came out today? God, they were the best. Um, now all I can think about is Janine Garofalo's like bowling ball from that movie with her dad's skull in it. God, that shit was cool. Um, okay, sorry, Dylan. Uh, Stat was great in this match. I think you said it really well. She doesn't have any like notable standout matches, but I think she's given so many other people their standout notable matches, right? Julia Hart's best match, Chris Stat. Jay Cargill's best match, Chris Stat, right? And it was it's always been a lot of people who are newcomers and stuff like that, and I think they've really used Stat as sort of the benchmark of the women's like mid card, you know, Um, when she first came in, she challenged for like the women's title, you know, but ever since after that, I feel like since the TBS title was created, she has been in that picture. Right. So a couple of years now. And um, I think she's absolutely ready for that next level. Um, I think if you bring like Athena and Billy Starks on TV soon, I think you're going to have a really good new TBS division. Um, I think stat is someone who can chase Tony. Um, and yeah, I think it's one of those things too, where stat has always not to say people below her skill level, but I think she has, you know, mostly had to be the one to elevate 
And man, she was crazy successful in that. Like if we look at a title that I feel like didn't honestly lose any prestige, like it's hard to take a TBS title off of someone who's, you know, undefeated, basically your women's Goldberg and then maintain it at like a pretty matched level. And I thought stat was that great champion for it. I love this match. This was my second favorite match of the show. I gave it four stars. I do. Um, yeah, like it, it was just it's one of those matches where they hit every spot so well. You could tell they were working their asses off, but it never felt like they were working. Right. Um, it all felt very natural. Code Blue looked great. Loved the finish. When Julia stole the pin, like I jumped up. I was so happy. She really is one of those people. Um, like I would say, like, look at how stat came in is like the alien gimmick from beyond. Right. In the Indies. And how Julia came in as the cheerleader. And now Stat is like your God. Like she really could just become Walter if she became or Gunter if she became a heel. I feel like and Julia is just completely changed. Um, so you know, here's to here's to hoping Julia has a great title reign. Um, you know, outside of her and Sky Blue, I'm not exactly sure where they will go with it but i'm excited to see and you know congrats to someone from the house of black for getting a fucking win tonight you know what i i wonder if they'll do like almost a ripley thing with her where she's like the leader of the group yeah i think they should i think she's got the most buzz of anybody yeah i mean like dude no disrespect to house of black but holy fuck they have to be like the most (laughs) dressed up and most uninteresting characters like when hit when Malachi and Brody came out, I was just like, guys with tattoos. All right. Like, I, it's, li- I like them all as wrestlers, to be honest with you. It's just their characters are so uninteresting like to me. Yeah. No, general. I mean, yeah. it's it's very symptomatic of what I feel like Bray Wyatt would do is where he would always say things. But none of them ever felt like they arrived at a goal and none of them ever felt like it was one of those things where it's like, OK, so you just talk. But none of this means anything none of this gets us anywhere it's just always like i see your soul and i see who you really are for and the darkness it's and then i get beat (laughs) you know and then it's just fucking over and like the the whoever babyface beat them or whatever isn't thinking about him anymore um if anyone's had any lasting impact it's been julia so yeah We all need our, our goth friends. We need to support them and lift them up, I think, is what we need. And maybe this is the start of that with Julia here. So then we got to one of the things that were among the most hyped parts of the, the show. Who is the mystery signing? And to be honest, there were a lot of rumors and reports and things like that. But it became pretty clear. At first, I thought it might be maybe Mercedes. But then the report came out that it wouldn't be her uh, overall. In the end, it was Bruv. Will Ospreay is now All Elite. No fucks given to the Tokyo Dome at all by, by, by this company. They will announce him right away and not wait. Their only goal is to flex on WWE, and that is to get Will Ospreay as soon as possible. So what'd you think? This is so dumb. Uh, again, like imagine having your <laughs> like, OK, Dylan, this is basketball, right? Kevin Durant, like the Suns are like it's first game of the season. Like we have a brand new star player and Kevin Durant comes out and he's like, hey, guys, 
I'm excited to see y'all soon. Uh, just be patient. I'll be back. <laughs> it's like, yeah, give me what? a couple months. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, like it, it totally was 110% just to fuck you to WWE. And again, like, I don't know. I felt like you could have done this at World's End, right? Um, yeah, really. It, why not? Like, why not do it at World's End? It, it just felt like a haha, I got him WWE because the whole thing was, you know, Will Ospreay being like, I'm all elite, bruv. This is pro wrestling, bruv. And it's like Tony wrote this script. And again, like, you know, Tony's an amazing fucking booker when he really hones in on it. And it's it's this weird obsession of like constantly having to remind us the people who watch the show that they're pro wrestling and it's like yeah no shit that's why we came here and i don't think any wwe people are watching this press conference you know like a casual wwe fan they're like you know what i really could use uh, pro wrestling in my life instead of sports entertainment i think i'll come over here so it's very much like you're just telling us the shit we already know and you're hammering it down our throats and i'm like i don't i don't need to hear it constantly right so I don't know. It's just I thought this whole thing was so unnecessary. But hey, at least it wasn't Sammy Callahan. That is true. That is who, the, who Meltzer thought it may be at first or speculated. Um, the problem with this being a big deal is he really is already kind of an you know an AEW wrestler. He's been around multiple times now. It's not like some shocking guy that has never been before. We all knew he was probably going to come here. I saw a lot of people. I was shocked at how many people thought he was going to go to WWE. The fact that he's been wrestling at AEW so long already made me think for sure he was going there. Um, yeah, and I just think that they probably could have waited. It would have been a lot better if they had just waited uh, to at least show some respect to the dome match at the very least. But it doesn't matter really. <laughs> like overall, it's not that big of a deal. I just thought it was kind of bad. Uh, but whatever, it's fine. What do you think they're gonna do with Osprey when he, whenever he comes in, full time? Uh, they're gonna put him with Don Callis. He'll probably never fucking talk again. And <laughs> put him in a suit and just have just stand there. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like I don't know. I have, I have no clue. I think he. I mean, like Jay Wyatt. He's he's a main eventer when he comes in, right? Um, I don't think he comes in at a level lower than that. So. I imagine probably something with MJF. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I think that's the best case scenario for him. Um, you know, him going right after the title. I think it would work. He got a nice reaction here. Um, I think the worst thing that could happen is if they do what you said and put him with the Callis family, <laughs> the death of many a great wrestler. Uh, putting him with Don Callis, and I don't think he needs him. I think he's fine on his own. There are plenty of fans who want to see him wrestle. A lot of people hype him as one of the best in the world. I'm not quite as big of a fan of his personally, but I respect his game in the ring. I'm not going to downplay him or anything like that. Um, But that said, I don't know. On this roster, you've got a lot of pieces and a lot of places that they aren't really fitting at at the moment. So I don't know what adding one more is going to do. He, I could totally see him being that guy that comes in with a big run early, and then you know within three or four weeks we're all wondering what happened to him. Like, what, like why, why did he disappear? Why didn't they do anything more with him? Why did they kill his momentum? Like, I can see all of that coming out uh, with, with him, to be honest. But 
I think he is the level of star and has the level of hype. They will want to push him at least, but we will see. We'll we'll see if they're capable of it overall. Yeah. So then we recap the page at Swerve stuff. Did you ever see that part where he broke into his house? Uh, No, but I heard about it a lot. Yeah, it was really dumb, but I will say this. Hangman's promo on Dynamite was freaking awesome. Like, that was a... (laughs) So bring my son by your grave every year so he can piss on it. Was that it? Or... Yeah, Yeah, the thing is, he was talking about how he was going on about that. He was like, I taught kids. (laughs) Like, I know about it. And then he brought that up. And then he said, like, uh, Nana, all he does is dance around and use you to make money because you're a dumbass. And then he was like, uh, you know, because they did a storyline where they're like, you know, Tony Khan has promised you two cannot have contact with each other. (laughs) If either one of you touch each other, you'll be suspended for the rest of the year. And Hangman was like, all right, well, they didn't say anything about me not touching Nana. So he beat the hell out of Nana, and Swerve was not able to do anything about it, pretty much, because of the stipulation they had. Uh, it was a great segment, like the best segment on Dynamite in a long time, <laughs> to oh, be sure. honest. And this was the best match at AEW in a long time as well. So Swerve, Strickland, and Hangman Page, Texas Deathmatch. Even though I really wasn't at all, actually, this is one of my big pet peeves. It's like when they bring in UWF rules to a match. And it's not UWF rules. This was not a Texas death match. They said it was knockout or submission only, which is not a Texas death match. It's supposed to be a 10 count after like, what happened. Why couldn't we just call it a knockout match or, or whatever? Uh, in the end, so much happened here. I mean, this was <laughs> a, a long match. So many weapons. So much stuff going on. Cinder blocks. There was glass they brought in. Barbed wire. Everybody was bloody, a bloody, bloody mess uh, overall. And the, in the end, uh, they did the thing uh, where Anana uh, bailed out Swerve when he was about to hit the buckshot lariat. The one part of the match I didn't like was the interference at the end with Brian Cage coming out. I, I would have cut that out if it was up to me. Um, but Page fought back, and he hit everybody. He hit Nana with a dead eye through the table, but in the end, Swerve knocked his ass out with the cinder block and then choked him out with a chain. I mean, this match was brutal, a bloody match, and it was exactly the match they needed to have considering the storyline. If you want to complain about the violence, that's your right. But the fact of the matter is they built this up. This wasn't some bullcrap that they just did for no reason. They had a great buildup. They did everything they could in the story, and this was what they needed to do. This was a great, great match. One of the best at AEW all year. Uh, I had this at, at four and a half stars. Um, yeah. So in terms of the interference, I think we had a really good like look at the two different approaches between this and like the MJF thing, you know, and just kind of like the gimmicky shit. I didn't mind it here so much. Like Cage, I expected. And then what I liked was it didn't necessarily factor into the finish. Like, I thought Paige had heat with those guys, too, as much as Swerve. 
and he whooped Cage's ass. And then, dude, he put Nana through that table. And I was just like, oh, that was a nasty fucking bump. Um, if you want to talk about, you know, mainstream style death matches, which is pretty much to say sans glass. Um, I think this is the best one you have since Kasai versus Desperado. And they didn't um, have glass. They remember he brought the bag. Oh, glass. that's okay. Light tubes. I'll say like light tubes then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like this was everything I had hoped for. Uh, I think like t- when you look at Paige's resume, like he is the guy in AEW who's been able to successfully raise the match quality for like all of his matches and feuds. I feel like, like it is not easy to do that, but like, you know, everyone's like, okay, well that was a great match with Moxley. How could they do it? And then they do it again. Like, holy shit. And same thing with swerve, like their match in Seattle was phenomenal. Um, like no joke. Uh, this hit every note for me. And, uh, I think like the best way to put it is like if you have to think if it's five stars, then it's not. And for me, I never had to to think about it. Like this was a five star match for me. Um, wow. Character stuff came through, and this is only like the fifth one this year. The the others would be uh, let me see, Nakajima Kento, Saray Nakajima, uh, that Michinoku Pro tag with Hi- uh, Fujita Junior, Mochizuki, yeah. yeah, and then. Uh, Let's see here. Nakajima and Kendo time limit draw. And then Danielson, Zack Sabre Jr. Oh, and Julia Suzu Suzuki. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Those are my favorites. So I fucking love this match. Um, Like, I think it's really up there like one or two with Kento and Nakajima for my number one of the year. Um, Dude, Hangman drinking his blood is that like top sick. 10 favorite wrestling moments ever for me. Um, it's that kind of like depravity and real life like shit that I think it, I don't know how to describe it other than like you watch wrestling within a vacuum, right? Which is to say like a scripted show. And a yeah. lot of the time it feels like, and it's not even to say like, Oh, it feels real, but it just, it, it elevates this to this level where it feels like you're really watching like live fucking art being painted. I don't know. And it's just like this thrill to exist with it at the same time. And like, you can really feel the acts like punctuated with these moves and the full structure. And it's just, it's seamless really. It's masterful. And God damn, like Adam page, I think there's that quote by Meltzer or whatever, like on the final day, final WCW show, where someone says something, he said something along the lines of an, I don't like Ric Flair, but like, you know, the show was almost, uh, you know, it was very ironic in the end because WCW had Ric Flair, you know, lose when ultimately he was the beating heart of the promotion. It always was. Right. And I feel like Paige is really that beating heart of AEW. Like, holy shit, man. This guy is just too good, and I feel like this feud has really revived him. Um, he got lost in that elite shuffle, but man, I just yeah, I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Almost all the best matches of this company history has him in it. Yeah, Hangman. Hey, hey, <laughs> um, 
I think I liked Brian and Starks a little bit better, but this was a lot more gruesome and more violent overall. It was right up there, that four and three quarter level. Maybe I just had to think about it a little too much, but I wouldn't. I don't blame you at all. I wouldn't argue with you about a five star match of the year level match. Uh, I thought they did a fantastic job and perfect for what they wanted to accomplish overall. Uh, so yeah, great match. Made, this match made I cannot hate the show with this match on it, uh, even though we're <laughs> about to get into some questionable things. Nine point six one rating on Cage Match right now uh, for Swerve and Page, which is well deserved. The then we get to the number one contendership match: the Young Bucks versus the Golden Jets, Jericho. Ed Omega. Did you see uh, that Jericho had a match at DDT uh, last week? Yeah, Ultimate Party. Did you watch it? I did. How was it? I thought it was a good match. I thought he worked really hard. Uh, He took it seriously, even being in DDT. (laughs) He didn't half-ass it like you might have thought. They didn't even do any comedy stuff. Just him and Takeshita had a really good match. It wasn't super great, but I really liked it. I thought he deserved a lot of credit for it <laughs> overall. But nothing will beat Saki Akai retirement <laughs> in terms of must-watch stuff off of that show. Um, regardless, things started off bad because Don Callis came out of commentary uh, here uh, to make everything worse anyway. Uh, they did a lot of stuff here. Uh, they came in and basically... They did stuff where Omega was firing out at both the Young Bucks. Uh, Jericho hit the Lion Salt uh, on both of the Bucks. They He got the walls of Jericho, but he came in and his arm gave out. And they came in. I hit the, the BTE trigger on Jericho uh, for a big near fall. Uh, but then he comes back. Uh, Matt tries to hit him with a super kick, but then he sends it into Nick. There. Uh, Matt ended up kicking Jericho in the arms. They did tell the arm story a little bit. And Omega, they tried to do this dramatic stuff with, like, who's Omega going to hit, like, with the V-trigger? In the end, he obviously hit Matt Jackson with it. And Matt hit the one-winged angel. Kind of no-sold by Omega here with Matt hitting the one-winged angel on Omega, which should be a huge spot. Uh, I don't think they got the most out of it that they should have. Um Jericho, of course, hits a super kick <laughs> on his uh, attempt, but he gets knocked down. In the end, Omega hits the one-week danger on his own to win the match. Uh, this went a long time, and I thought that this wasn't that as great as it could have been. I just didn't have a lot of interest in this match overall, uh, but and in the end, Omega tries to give him a head shake, but they turn him down. Uh, clearly teasing that he might join the, or they might join the Callus family, which would be terrible for for anybody. Uh, this was a fine match. It was not a bad match in terms of wrestling. I just think it dragged on, and my interest wasn't even there, especially after the last match. I don't think they were able to successfully follow it. To me, this is more like a three-star match. Good, but not special, and not what you would have wanted with a match that has so much history to it. I also dislike the booking. We literally just did the angle where the elite came together, uh, came back together. And now within a few months, we're already 
by turning them and, and having people break off. Why do they need to do that? Is this the only story they could tell with Kenny Omega? Like, do the elite like him or not? They need to do something else. I think I would actually rather him just team with Jericho and get away from the Callis family and just do a, a tag team run and do something different than the elite and all of that. It's just so played out and stale. I had no interest in this. What do you think? Yeah, this was my uh, second least favorite match on the show. Um, it just, <laughs> I don't know. It felt like it wanted to be Omega page versus the bucks. And that was like four years ago now, or three years ago. Um, and I genuinely do not feel like the bucks have evolved in ring whatsoever since then. No, like they are one of the most stale acts where it felt like the whole bucks experience so far in AEW was getting their routine on live TV and essentially getting to see what, you know, they were doing in Reseda for years, but on a, on a mainstream platform, which was so exciting. Right. And they did that and they had their dream matches and they were really good. Like I loved the bucks initial run in AEW, and it just hasn't changed. Like they grew beards and they started wearing sneakers (laughs) and that's pretty much fucking it. Like, there have been no ripples in their story outside of the elite. They have no personal evolution. They have no changes outside of, oh, we're friends with Kenny and Paige, and now we're not friends with Kenny and Paige, and oh, we're upset with Kenny. And it's like, dude, just do fucking something new, please. Because even their in-ring matches, like with this it started and I knew like I could see what was going to happen in my mind. And it was pretty much that like, you know, Omega worked his ass off. I thought at the end and it was like, Oh, you get to see a cool Omega combo and that's it. And I just, I do not care about Jericho and Omega. Like it's very much that Jericho void that we've talked about where you fall into a storyline with him and it's like, you're removed for six months to a year And it's like, you know, who remembers MJF and Jericho? And like, did that do anything for MJF in the long run? No. Like, and God damn, like, and you still have like this Jericho Appreciation Society thing that's going on, but they're not the JS. Like, it's just like he like it's very evident. Like he just leaves bodies in his wake. Ortiz and Santana, nothing. Uh, Jake. What's his name? Hanger. Jake, what, gives, yeah, Jake Hager. Who gives a shit? Um, nothing. Like 2.0, nothing. Or 3.0, whatever. You know, Joe Garcia, nothing. Like all of these people, Sammy, dude, was one of the four pillars. And I know he just had his baby or whatever, so he might be on paternity leave. But like, dude, he is absolutely nothing after four years with Jericho. And I think that that's all it, like that's all the proof you need. And it just sucks watching it. Like I love Kenny Omega and the young bucks, Chris Jericho and Don Callis are probably the four people I never want around him again. Um, it's just, it's done. It's so done. I give this like a, a very gracious two stars. Hard to argue with any of your points that you made, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think it's interesting because there was a lot of talk. They were the, we talked a little bit about this off the air, 
But recently, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame issue came out, and they were really the most controversial candidate on the ballot in that they didn't get in. Uh, everyone thought they were like a lock to get voted in, but they did not get the 60 percent of votes uh, to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, and I think about it because what you're saying is so true. I think in years past, they probably would have. But if you look at their run the last few years, what do they add to this company really? Like ultimately, because they're always talked about as being the ones who basically made AEW what it is. But if you really look at the company, of all the players in it, what do the Young Bucks add to AEW right now that couldn't be added by any other tag team virtually? I think that they used to be able to make tag teams in AEW in the beginning, right? Like it was very much a you fight the Young Bucks and that's your platform, right, to really prove yourself as a tag team. Uh, top flight private party remember beating them or whatever was fucking huge but again with aw but it never a went lot anywhere of, yes like i think that they elevated a lot of these teams and then the thing was there was never any consistency with the other teams only the young bucks booking and um you know this isn't to deny their importance or anything because i think the contributions they've made outside of the ring and have done for wrestling as a whole like i, I look at people like bucks effie cardona who very much kind of, you know, help other wrestlers increase their own self-worth and value, right? And say, hey, you can do this. You can, uh, you know, sell a million T-shirts and get them in Hot Topic unsigned, right? Like Alex Zane getting an international deal is an unsigned talent, right? With a major, you know, world international corporation that is Taco Bell. Um, hey, can I think, we show some respect to Taco Bell, the Baja Blast, and Alex Zane? All, all Absolutely. Yeah. We need to Zane, do that. Zane, Taco Bell, respect army. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think um, their contributions outside of the ring have been more valuable lately um, in terms of, and I would say like, or more notable, right? In terms of like them with AEW and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's just, I... Like, I, I do not know where their position is right now in the company, right? It's it's just, I don't know. It's hard because these guys will never be singles guys, right? Yeah, it's and, possible pretty much. Yeah. And pretty much like the majority of other teams can. And I think that they're just stuck where it's like, how many more years can you do this without switching up your game? Like super kick party, like fuck off. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm done. I'm over it. Uh, it's beat for beat. Like, you know, you're going to have that Matt Jackson dramatic moment. You're going to have a big finish reversal or like use the other person's finisher. You're going to have a one kick out. You're going to have like the big sequence where everyone hits a move then falls down on the mat. Um, and it's like, do a match that deserves the applause instead of just hitting the beats that you feel like will get it right. Mm -hmm. Good point. I don't know. And they've had some of my all-time favorite tag matches too. I will say that, like, they are yeah. a great team. But God, they damn. are. They yeah. have, and they and they are. They totally deserve credit for that. <laughs> like overall, uh, it's just right now they just don't bring anything to the table to me uh, yeah. over on this whole company. So. We'll see what happens uh, with them, but may God help us all with what we're about to talk about right now. Uh. 
We've done we've done everything we can to, to delay this as much as possible. Two hours we stretched this out to not have to talk about this godforsaken match. So at first, Jay comes out. They got the whole Bullet Club there, and then Adam Cole <laughs> hobbles out with his crutches. To no problem, no issue. It's fine. He's gonna fight Jay White for the title. Whatever. But wait, ambulance sirens are heard. MJF drives the ambulance, which he stole, apparently. Uh, He's robbed people, he's jacked an ambulance, and now he's in the arena to get where he needs to go. And when he comes in, now let's remember, Adam Cole, also with an ankle injury. He walked through with no issues whatsoever. But when MJF shows up, the whole city needs to come in and rush in and try to stop him from getting to the ring. They cannot let this man risk his health by wrestling this match uh, with the ankle injury that he had, the worked ankle injury uh, that we had here. Brilliant booking overall for sure. Uh, So right away, this match was already like a zero-star match to me with how stupid this was. I think the one positive the one positive thing I will give this match Jay started off the right way like he immediately went after the leg and what I hate about this match is a lot of this is actually stuff that was smart at the absolute base level of it a babyface overcoming an injury and a heel working it over is one of the oldest wrestling stories in the books. Anybody should be able to do that. But then you watch the match, and it's so hard to ignore how terrible this was and how much it failed. So he comes in. The guns get ejected. MJF shows a lot of babyface fire, and he's like, go ahead, hit me with your best shot. And then he hits him right in the leg with it. And then, of course... Now, let's remember, this whole show has been built around him selling this leg injury, (laughs) including this match that Jay has worked over constantly, did a fine job, nothing wrong with it. What is the move you think he will go to next? The kangaroo kick on there. And so he comes in, hits the kangaroo kick. MJF totally pulls a full Seth move here and looks to go up for the dive. But then White comes in. And then he suddenly uh, comes in. Uh, White throws him to the floor. And this match was just ass at this point. Like, this match sucked so much already. And it only got better with him putting him on the table and the table collapsing right away. Even the table was telling you this match sucked. <laughs> and it didn't want to do this match idea. Uh, the table was might have been the best worker in this match of the three, <laughs> to be honest, so far. So MGF, again, with his devastating injury that he has, what does he do to counteract this uh, unexpected, you know, flub that they had? Usually, you know, it, obviously you wanted to do the big table bump and now you don't get it. So how do you, you know, how do you turn from that? What do you do to fix that? You just do the move anyway. He goes up to the top and hits the diving elbow onto Jay on the outside with no table, no gear. His legs fine. Oh, boy, what a great move that was. 
Uh, they do this stuff with the Tree of Ro- Woe. MJF pounds the mat and looks angry to to bring himself back in. <laughs> hits the superplex, but then White hits the big Uranagi from the top rope. This match reminded me so much of a match from years ago. Uh, Jay's first U.S. title defense against Hangman Page. This is not the Hangman Page we know da- now. Uh, but the match failed miserably. And so their answer to make it better was to just do insane moves and crazy moves and do the most they can uh, to make up for it. And that's exactly how this match went. This match sucked. Everybody didn't like it. And it was not, uh, you know, working to the extent they wanted. The crowd got into it. Uh, but the fact is, anybody can tell this match was not good. So they, they pivoted to doing as many big moves as they could. Because that was what the master of psychology, Jay White, is all about. Actually throw it all out the window when he needs it most. Uh, so they come in. They do all kinds of crazy stuff here. They do some counters uh, back and forth. And MJF, the injured leg, leaps over the top rope like he's dragging Lee into a diamond cutter to the outside with Jay White making a ridiculous screaming noise <laughs> as they did it here. And the doctor comes in and says, uh, hey, are you done yet? Like, we can stop the match. Don't worry. Even though you just ran and leapt over the top rope, it's fine. Uh, he bangs his knee to try and get, you know, try to get some feeling back into it. And Adam Cole, they they do this melodramatic crap with Adam Cole where he's about to throw in the towel. And everybody brought it back to when he threw in the towel on Cody Rhodes years ago. So at the very least, compared to what you said about Jericho, the stuff with Cody is at least remembered and brought something to the table with him, even though in this exact instant, <laughs> instance, I don't think it was a very good thing. Yeah. Um, but in bad. the end, uh, let's not forget, uh, just to finish out this match, we're almost 30 minutes in here. Of course, we needed a ref bump on top of it. I come in. Cole throws in the diamond ring and... But somehow Jay White gets it. But he's about to hit the diamond ring. But instead, MJF hits the low blow. Uh, he hits the diamond ring shot to retain the title uh, to kind of continue on. And what happened next to this is what we were talking about. You messaged me about this show earlier. You didn't ask me about any match on the card. What you messaged me about was, so who's the devil going to be? which has been the main purpose of this so-called storyline all the time. Who is the devil? What will he do? They retconned it. They totally changed it. At first, the devil and his minions attacked Jay White, but then he attacked the acclaimed, and they said, all the devil does is attack people close to MJF. So they retconned their own storyline within a matter of a couple of weeks. They built this pay-per-view. I'm not saying you had to reveal the devil on the show if you didn't want to. If you really want to drag it out more for TV, fine. But to not have him at all during all of this? What the fuck? What was this? Like, what were they thinking? This booking is awful. This whole match was a disgraceful main event. Uh, To me, I thought they couldn't sink lower than all in which was a terrible match in its own right. But there's no question in my mind, this is a worse match than the all-in main event. I thought it surely will be hailed as one of the worst matches of the year. I thought it was worse than any Roman Reigns match. Uh, And I said it to you, I texted it to you. (laughs) If Roman Reigns and the bloodline crap is cinema, then this is a to-be original movie. 
There's no <laughs> redeeming value in this match outside of a very brief portion with Jay working over the leg. They blew everything off. Nothing mattered. Nothing in the storyline matters. Nothing in this company seems to matter, let alone the world title, which has never been lower. I hated this match, and these two should never wrestle again. Jay White should never be in a main event again. MJF should never be the champion again. They need to drop the title. This sucks, and I I hated all of it. And Adam Cole also should not be on TV either, but whatever. I thought this match was awful. Way too high of a vote. Uh, by cage match in my opinion one of the most overrated matches of the year surely by the inmates and it sits at a 3.84 rating (laughs) as well by far the lowest main event in the history of AEW even worse than all in and deservingly so this was an absolute dud to me terrible terrible match yeah I I I could definitely say this was probably the worst pay-per-view main event in AEW history um you know like i, I don't know <laughs> like really where to begin i guess um <laughs> there's so much wrong that you know we're only like, human we can't we can't pick out from this, this needle in this haystack i think the only way this could have feasibly worked right for me is that you flip this to the first match on the show because Jay White comes out looking so fucking poorly in this like 30 minutes and you can't take out the guy who has a shattered ankle essentially. And like Jay White's whole gimmick is working over a single body part. Right. So, and I'm saying this purely from the perspective of like someone who's watched Jay White since he was a young fucking lion. Right. Um, this felt like the worst presentation of his character. It felt like everything that his character exceeds at uh, was thwarted here. Um, I think that you could have made this work if, you know, again, like we flip it, right? Or MJF closed the show, right? On the pre-show. So he's getting carried out and then Jay White enters then. Oh, if you can't compete, you know, I I, I don't want to be in the main event. I want to compete now. And if you can't compete, then I'm the world champion. And then MJF, you know, has to compete then. I think that that raises the drama. I think you lose that dumbass ambulance spot because this whole MJF thing, right? It's very much like Cody and the worst symptoms of him in AEW. Like Cody and QT Marshall doing the Larry's Visco and Bruno San Martino feud. It's like, okay, cool. So you're telling history, but why the fuck are you doing it with QT Marshall? Is not Larry's Visco to your Bruno San Martino, right? And it's just because you're knowledgeable and it like, you know, in dialogue with something doesn't make it good, right? It's it that's not they're not like <laughs> they're not mutually exclusive. I don't fucking know. Um, it's it all feels like parody. Like, it all feels like such bad parody. Imagine this is on, like, Warner WBD makes this match free. Hey, guys, we're going to make our world championship match free from the last pay-per-view. The pay-per-view did so well. Like, a casual is going to turn it on and see Adam Cole in his tank top and basketball shorts. Like, depression beard. Like, Adam, I got one, too. No disrespect. I love it. Um, Like, it looks like a fucking joke because it is. And... Um, yeah, total parody, 
I don't know how this is a world title. Like this feels like your DDT extreme title at this point. Like actually that's a fun at least, but yeah, like I <sighs> reigns in LA night was better than this somehow. I just like, I mean, I think Ugh. you said it perfectly shooting from the hip the way you did. Like, again, if this was the first match on the show, it happened immediately after the injury. Jay White is, tries to play it smart. Oh, I'm going to do it right now. And then Adam Cole runs down at the end to help MJF sneak a win and survive rather than like defeat Jay White. Right. I think that's way better. And it still sucks. But at least it's not your main event. And then I think you what you would do is close the show with Swerve and Paige. Like imagine that ending the pay-per-view and Swerve is just like essentially, you know, coronated is like it's his little coronation is like I am in the main event scene now. Right. I think that tells so much more of a story than whatever the fuck this was. And like it was again like. It feels like they're they think they're doing something radical and they're telling this great story, but like you said, it's to be original bloodline, which already <laughs> feels like a cracked exclusive. So like fuck, dude. Um, I, and then after this, it's like okay, well, where are we going? And Nigel's going off. Oh, now MJF thinks he's out of the clear, but he <laughs> to the beginning. But now he has this greatest challenge in Samoa Joe, who again he just defeated on just television. And I, I don't fucking care. Like, I really think that MJF is, you know, we always joked Reign of Terror from the beginning, but it's like this weird, shitty hybrid of Triple H and John Cena. And it feels like like him being like it's tongue in like or it's it's pro wrestling. The stories we're telling, you know, all this stuff And I'm like, I don't believe you watch your product or and if you do, I don't believe you understand it. Like, and that's harsh as fuck to say, but from a storytelling perspective, this is like objectively poor storytelling. And that's not to say in a wrestling sense, this is purely from a storytelling sense. It's all very bad. It's all very, very bad. The, like you said, the hottest element of this feud has been the devil. No one cares about Jay White carrying around his belt. They're like, oh, for the first time in months, he's been reunited with the belt. And it's like, cool, he's been wearing a stupid-ass ROH tag team title the entire time. So it's not like he's been without a belt, right? Um, it's just – it sucks. Yeah. And an angle we've seen done a million times. Like like you said, the, the stolen belt angle was a complete waste of time. That added nothing to anything. Wasn't Evil doing it to, like, Sonata at the same exact time as well? I think so. Maybe that's where they got the idea from. Uh, uh, the, the funny thing is, what you said about Cole coming in to save him was exactly what they did in the Samoa Joe match. Like, that's exactly what they did. And that mm. wasn't a good match. Like or It definitely wasn't a great match, but it was significantly better than this. <laughs> like, what we had on this main event here. They did a terrible thing, and I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe we got a match this bad. But to be fair, we know that MJF watched the show because he said he watched it. He said he watched uh, Swerve and Hangman, but the problem is I thought he was in the ambulance at the time <laughs> on there. I guess he forgot about that when he was talking about watching Swerve and Hangman uh, on there. Uh, doesn't even know can he can he get his kayfabe in his real life straight? Can he do anything right? <laughs> I don't know. No, and like MJF is he's such a weird or a strange case, right? Where he's had great matches. Strange. And but like it, it's 
I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think, I don't know. It's very hard. He's like the least AEW, AEW main eventer, you know, and maybe that's necessary, but in its current iteration, it's not functioning. So, yeah, it looks like Joe was going to be his next opponent. And are they going to do that at World's End on TV? Like, what's happening? I can see it either way. I mean, normally they do have your, like, winter is coming type of show at the end yeah, of the yeah, you know, yeah. December. I could see that being one. We know that the finals of the Continental Classic are going to be at the end of the year. I think what they should do is do Joe at winter is coming. You could finally put this storyline to bed and beat Joe again, <laughs> unfortunately, even though we like him. Reveal the devil on that show. Like, have that be the big reveal, which I think we all think is Adam Cole at the end of the day. <laughs> but it will it will lead to something that would at least explain why he wasn't here. He didn't want to why he didn't just reveal himself anyway. I don't know. But regardless, do the devil thing there. And you could wrap up this devil storyline. Do if it's Cole or whoever it is, if it's Jungle Boy Whoever it is, put him and MJF in at World's End. You've built it up for months. It's not a great match, no matter who it is. I mean, Adam Cole, we saw what they could do together, and it's going to be horrible because he's horrible. Uh, But put him in there. Finish this devil storyline. Whoever you have in mind, and I don't know who it is, like who they want to win this title (laughs) and succeed MJF. Have him win the tournament, the Continental Classic. Become the Triple Crown champion and blow all of this off. Like at the end of the day, you get to 2024, you do your contract story, you have him triumphantly re- resign with the company, and then you you end this. Like it has to end. <laughs> like this this championship run cannot continue. <laughs> like there's yeah, no reason I, to. There's no business metrics. There's no. I don't know. A whole more year, like another full year of this is fucking. That I mean that again. It's like it's par- it's like bloodline parody, which already feels like its own parody, right? And it's everything that like we came to this company for, quote unquote, right? So again, it's that it's it's a disconnect overall, and I don't. And then you know MJF. I saw like this one thing in his, in his press conference, right? He's like the the IWC is such a small fraction or whatever, and it's blah 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 blah. blah. And it's That's like okay then, but yeah, and no, and then I say so why talk about them then like why even acknowledge us whatever right if if it's um if we're such a small minority why are you listening to us why are you concerned i mean talk about a relic from the past on top of it i mean every like who doesn't have the internet that watches wrestling these days yeah and again like he probably fucking became a fan through being in you know part of the iwc as well it's like you find wrestling through the fucking internet. It's not like the tape trading days, right? And even back then, like, it's just stupid. It's very, again, it's like, I don't know. I think it's such a cop-out. It's it's the big cop-out, right, to just blame things on the IWC's perspective. It's the same thing as, like, WWE being, like, bizarro world. And it's just cheap and, yeah. Yeah, no interest in that. Let me let me talk a bit about the press conference afterwards here. Um, first up, I have a few notes here. Jericho was the first man they had. 
and they asked him about Kenny Omega, and he actually said Omega was not at the press conference because he went home to take care of a sick cat there. So hopefully his cat's doing okay. Get well soon, Kenny's cat uh, there. Uh, Jericho said that he got 10 stitches in his his arm, and he talked a lot about the Takeshita match at DDT, and he basically said that Takeshita's awesome. Like, he's, it's amazing how great he is, even though he's so young, and Takeshita's got all the talent in the world. Uh, and he was happy Osprey signed with the company, saying Osprey had one of the best years ever in his career, so he's happy that he's in AEW now and looks forward to wrestling him. Uh, so, yeah, I, he, I, it was nice of him to talk about the Takeshita match at DDT uh, there. It doesn't fit with their storyline, but it's fine. I think Jericho is one of the few guys that actually understands these press conferences <laughs> that they have. Along with Ricky Starks and Big Bill, who came in next as well. They did a great job as well. And Ricky was basically saying, he's like, we really just met each other not that long ago. And they're both singles wrestlers who are tag champions rather than a a true tag team uh, overall. Uh, Big Bill, he he had a lot of emotional stuff talking about how he really struggled uh, with sobriety. And he basically said pro wrestling was what helped him become a sober guy afterwards and uh they talked about how he finally made it back in as one half of the tag champions now really cool story uh, from big bill there to have cassidy was next he didn't really say a lot he just said that box is one of the best ever uh and he said that uh for the entrance he's the he draws his own stick figures on his titantron that he has there <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, he didn't have a lot. Then we got to Tony Khan. He said that the pay-per-view numbers are looking good. Uh, they're trending higher than uh, Wrestle Dream right now. And uh, as Bryce Young throws an interception <laughs> that I just see here in the Panthers game uh, for a pick six for a touchdown. Uh, but, yeah, so he um, he's basically talking about the Wrestle Dream show. This is doing a lot better <laughs> than it. Like he's, you know, this show's doing a lot better. Looking like uh, he he talked about the scoring system for the Continental Classic, three points for a win, one for a draw. Uh, he talked about his his experience with with Fulham in Premier League. Uh, he said that he's unifying all the titles and specifically brings up the Triple Crown from all Japan. He's not creating any new titles, but he's br- consolidating them. He said. Wait, so he's. So there won't be an ROH World Title, or yeah, what's that all about? Is that all? Is that, it's all part of the Triple Crown now. So he's able to control the New Japan Title too. I'm confused now. It's really confusing this whole thing. <laughs> uh, and he called the Continental Title. He said he wasn't making one, but actually he is making one because this is the first ever Continental Tournament. So I don't even think he fully understands what he was talking about with this Triple Crown. But it'll be clarified at least. But it seems from what I understood, maybe I'm wrong. If the listeners know better, uh, feel free to correct me on this. It seemed to me like he was consolidating the titles into the Triple Crown, like in all Japan. Word. But maybe I'm wrong. Again, I don't want to. It was confusing. The whole thing's confusing. I apologize if I got it wrong. Uh, he said we talked about Ronda earlier. Uh, he basically said that she's not signed actually to AEW. But he saw her at the Wrestling Revolver show, and he thought it would be a cool thing if she had a match, build some interest in Ring of Honor, and would love to have her back sometime. That definitely got a big mixed reaction uh, from the fans of the internet. 
but I don't if nothing else, I don't think you could say that she's not about wrestling to do a show at Ring of Honor. <laughs> you know, you have to at least care about wrestling to do something so small. Uh, I yeah. would say. Um Marina's said, like, please fucking sign, dude. She's yeah, trying to get please. that Shayna rub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're never gonna do anything with me unless you sign. Like, so please come in. Um, he said that uh, next year's All In was gonna be rushed due to Taylor Swift performing at Wembley Stadium around the same time, and he said it's gonna cost him extra money to compete with Taylor Swift uh, and rush the show. Uh, he said that somebody asked about Mercedes and he was like, yeah, Mercedes is awesome. Would love to have her. Uh, she's still injured at this point, so we'll see what happens. Somebody asked about Osprey and he basically said, I've been talking to Osprey ever since they told me I could, like New Japan told me I could. And he basically said, I'm really glad uh, that in AEW he could still be a part of the New Japan universe, pretty much. Yeah. Um, they didn't talk about Revolution, or they, he didn't talk about when it was, but said Sting was one of the greatest people I've ever known. And then he says about Brian Anderson, he actually says Brian's injury, it wasn't as serious as you thought it was, or as we thought it was. Uh, and he thought he would be out longer, but hey, he's still good for it uh, coming in there. So that was good stuff there. Um, yeah, Osprey came in and basically said that uh, he's a guy that like, he wanted to hear everybody out. Uh, he even talked about Impact Wrestling. He, he heard their offer. But in the end, he made the best decision for his family by signing in, in AEW. So not a lot of juice and meat on the bone. He mentioned guys like Miro, Omega, because somebody asked him about doing Omega in Osprey 3. And he said he wants that, but he wants to wrestle guys like Andrade, Miro, uh, Jericho, and so on and so forth. Uh, he has a whole list of people that he wants that thinks would do some good things. So, Yeah, uh, that was a press conference. Like you said, uh, Tony Khan mentioned that the Continental Classic. It's for the people who don't like the sports entertainment stuff, like the MJF and all of that. This is for the sports-based fans. And he gets really irritated about it. And he's like, it's time to put your money where your mouth is and watch the shows. Which is so stupid of a comment by an owner to make. I couldn't believe he said it uh, when I saw that he said it. What are you doing, man? <laughs> You're already losing good publicity. You've lost a lot of good faith. People think of this company as a sports entertainment company now. And not a good one either. They're they're basically WWE light is their pub public perception, as we know, rather than an alternative. They're not even a better version of WWE. They're a worse version of WWE now. That's their perception. I'm not saying it's true or not. And you've got yeah, good mean, matches. You know. it, I feel like it's... AEW has more quote unquote old guy storylines going on right now than WWE does. I'm surprised nobody asked him about Flair coming in. Considering all the talk that got by a lot of the fans. I don't know who these reporters were uh, for the most part, but still. Friends of Flair. 
<laughs> they, they all like flair, I guess. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, why did he criticize the fans for it? Hey, like you said, that's a very WWE way uh, how they used to handle it with Bizarro World and everything. He seems like a guy who very much cares about what the fans think. That's not a bad thing. Him reading Cage Match or going online to scout opinions, that's not a bad thing. It shouldn't be the be-all, end-all if you really believe in something. But when you see something like the main event, which has a clearly overwhelmingly negative reaction, I think there's reasons that you may want to listen to those voices uh, at the end of the day. And there's nothing wrong with that. But blaming the fans, I just can't get down with that at all. What were you thinking? Like, you book this company, Tony. You have control. You've made it that way. Many people have said over the years, and not just recently, over the years, that maybe he does too much. He's got the Jaguars, an NFL team. He's got Fulham, a Premier League team. He's got Ring of Honor. He's got AEW. This is not some new statement I'm making here that nobody's ever said before. People have been saying for years, you should give booking duties to someone else. He personally rejected that because he loves booking. He loves what he's doing, booking the show, and that's fine. But don't put it on the fans when your vision, what you've done with the company, what you have decided, along with your cronies, Jimmy Jacobs and MJF, and all the rest that have power there, have all come together to make this product what it is now. It's not it's not working for a lot of the fans right now. I'm not going to say it's a terrible company or anything like that. But at the end of the day, you have to own that. You have to accept that not all of your decisions are popular. <laughs> not everything's going to work. Listen, there's nobody alive, not just Tony Khan, not just Vince McMahon, not just Triple H. Not just Gato, not just anybody. If it was me booking, guaranteed there would be something that I would book that would not work, and it would turn the fans off. And I would have it would be up to me to accept that and make changes, even if I really believed in it. <laughs> like I said, there's stuff that I would like that would not get over overall to the grand scheme of fans, the majority of fans, your fan base, that IWC you're talking about. Who do you think watches AEW? You've driven a lot of people off. The attendances are very low for the most part. And I will say this. Something that I think is is blinding them to bigger issues here is the fans that are there. They really react to all of this stuff that's going on here. You can't deny the fans aren't into it. But it's like. It's masking the bigger issue overall when you when you have it. I don't think he's done a very good job of accepting that for whatever reason. And I'm not blaming him. Blaming him, Like you said, you said it earlier on the show. Tony Khan at his best can be an amazing booker. That's true. Like there's no denying that. Even on this show, the main event was what it was. But if you look at this show up and down, this was a quality pay-per-view here. There was good stuff up and down the card. The Texas death match was an excellent, excellent match. One of the best of the year by nearly everybody's grades. 
the ladder match was really strong. The TBS title over delivered was really strong. That's three matches right there that are great. Uh, and you've got stuff with OC and Marsley, which uh, we both really liked as well. Uh, good opener, fun stuff all around. It was great energy throughout the show. This was a good pay-per-view, but with the main event being what it was and an ending on such a sour note, I think I can't really go higher than a 6 out of 10 level show for this, even though I thought it was a really good show overall. And you had one of the best matches of the year, and it was Swerve and Hangman. But with the pay-per-view, with seemingly and the attitude behind it as well, that you're so stubborn and so determined to go with this angle that just sucks, I can't really give it more than a six because I think a lot of people left this show with a negative feeling. This Honestly, this match, this main event feels like their answer. We, we've compared them to the Bloodline a bunch. This feels like their SummerSlam match with Roman and Jay, where even the fans that have liked it in the past, even the fans that have defended it, even the fans that liked the all-in match, they're out. Like They were out with this match. This did not connect with the majority at all, and that's what it felt like after SummerSlam. Even people who loved the bloodline knew that match sucked, and I think it really turned them off of that whole storyline. And you see a lot of the fans, the defenders of the bloodline, are far, you know, far from po- as populous as they used to be. And I feel like this is where this is where it may go. This may be a turning point when we look at it. When he sees all the criticism, when he sees the fans, when he sees how they've changed it, maybe this will be the turning point that they've desperately needed. And I think that's the most hopeful way I could end this show on and approach it that way. Beautifully said. So with that said, uh Nello, thank you for taking all this time. Had a ton of fun talking about Full Gear with you. The good, the bad, the ups and the downs. Uh, We had a lot of stuff to say. We had some important conversations about the company itself in it. Uh, I thought we accomplished a lot. Uh, Really happy. Really happy with the show. So uh, with that said, before we get on out of here, if you have anything you need to say or want to say or desire to say, your wish is my command. You have the time. You have the spotlight. Say whatever you want to the people out there. Uh, if you have a VR headset, check out Return to Northbury Grove, our new uh, VR experience. It's like, can you survive a horror movie? It's the tagline, so check that out. Other than that, oh, I'm going to go eat a croissant and lay down. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Dylan. It's always a blast. This was an emotional experience, I feel like, <laughs> reviewing this show. Uh, who knew it would get so deep here? But hey, we sat ups and downs. And that's isn't that really the one thing you could say about it? Isn't that a microcosm of life as a whole? <laughs> that's, that's what AEW has brought us. The flow. Absolutely. So... I put all the links on the cage match page for the show. Uh, follow us on Twitter at WrestleUpdate23. Follow us on Instagram at WrestleUpdatePod. Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, like and subscribe to the YouTube page if you watch it on there. Uh, let us know what you thought of AEW. If you're a listener, if you did listen, uh, you've got some thoughts on the show or anything we had to say, please let us know and, and talk to us about it. We really appreciate anybody who listened, anybody who took the time. And hopefully we see you next time. We'll do another show very soon. But until then, this has been your Russell Update.